This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Happy Monday morning to you. Hope you're ready for another great week. I'm telling you, <laughs> these Monday mornings come really early to me. I don't know what it is, man. Holy cow. And then today I'm sitting actually in bed and I'm, I'm waking up to a dream that I have thousands of antelope or deer running on my roof. Little light-footed deer. And I, <laughs> it's the weirdest dream in the world. Well, come to find out it's raining. No deer, just raindrops that are falling on my house, (sighs) which wasn't a big deal. And then got in my car, you know, flying to get here for the show. And we've talked about it before. We have a construction problem right now that I have to cross through. They they call this place uh, the point of the mountain, also uh, death trap and, uh, you know, Armageddon. On the highway. And in the middle of this crazy place, it's, you know, they've, they're changing lanes. They're moving all these freeways back and forth. You have, like, literally this weird course you have to, like, maneuver through every morning. And today they added about a foot of water. <laughs> so what's really cool is I started hydroplaning. But what was really great about the hydroplaning is my windshield was full of water. So you couldn't see where you were hydroplaning. And right then I like, oh man, I need to go more water skiing more. Oh, it was a crazy moment. So did you, and you ran into that. It, Kathy, did. did you hit that? Yeah, I did. I mean, you see all of a sudden you death. see everybody hit the brakes and then you're like, well, I wonder what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure that the water came up to my headlights. Yeah, it was that Isn't that deep. fun? Yeah, it was yeah you got a little car. That's I scary. I a little car, so it was scary, which makes me very concerned when the snow starts to fall. I oh, you'll be fine. I don't know what I'm fine. going to do. That's why I'm buying a new car before then. I'm just going to hook up to the back of yours and have you pull yeah, me. Yeah, come on. I'll pull yeah. you through. I'm, I'm going to go buy a really big truck. I know. I'm thinking about that, too. With a USA bumper sticker and a gun rack on the back. Oh, there you go. Mm-hmm. I don't have a gun. But I'm going to have a gun you rack. You just have the rack, then. I think once I get people. the rack, I'll get the gun. <laughs> It's kind of like when I bought a house and I needed to get bigger cars to put in the house. Um, boy, yeah, it was a crazy drive today. But, you know, whatever. We're sitting here complaining about rain, and yet in California uh, they have forest fires that need forest rain. Fires. Well, we're dry too, so very grateful for the moisture yeah. for sure. You know, and I like it too because it's cleaning my uh, my sidewalks. It's cleaning my house. We have construction going on in a house next to ours. Somebody's building a an apartment complex next to my home. No. Feels like it. It's just a really big house. Oh. <laughs> but apparently it's going to have about 500 rooms. So um, anyway, don't want to complain. Great week. Whatever. We made it through. Nobody died. Just I would suggest that, you know, when people are building construction zones that they think of drainage. That's all I'm saying. I'm not a, I'm not a contractor, but just always remember drainage. Drainage, very important. Hey, let's uh, go to the headlines, find out what's going on around the rest of the country. Kathy? President Obama has outlined proposals to limit carbon pollution released from the nation's power plants. The regulations would require a 32% decrease of the emissions by 2030. Here was the president over the weekend talking about the plan. 
my administration will release the final version of America's Clean Power Plan, the biggest, most important step we've ever taken to combat climate change. Power plants are the single biggest source of the harmful carbon pollution that contributes to climate change. But until now, there have been no federal limits to the amount of that pollution those plants can dump into the air. The president also said 28 percent of the plant's power must come from renewable energy sources. A Memphis police officer was shot and killed Saturday night. Officer Sean Bolton, a five-year veteran, was shot several times during a traffic stop. The driver of the car turned himself in and was later released. Tremaine Wilborn was the passenger and believed to be the shooter. A warrant for his arrest on first-degree murder charges has been issued. He is still at large and considered armed and dangerous. The FBI is investigating two small explosions that targeted two separate churches in New Mexico yesterday. The first incident happened at the Calvary Baptist Church when a mailbox near the entrance was blown apart. 30 minutes later, another explosion went off in a trash bin near the Holy Cross Catholic Church. Officials are investigating whether or not the two incidents are related. The first GOP presidential debate is just days away, and in a recent NBC News Wall Street Journal poll, 75 percent of Latinos have a negative view of Donald Trump. In the same poll, Trump leads with 19 percent of GOP primary voters, with Scott Walker at 15 percent and Jeb Bush just one point behind. On the Democratic side, there are questions whether or not Vice President Joe Biden will throw his name into the ring. Former Democratic Governor of Pennsylvania Ed Rendell thinks it's not such a good idea. No, he shouldn't run. If he was going to run, he should have started a year ago consolidating support, getting to donors. Almost all the Biden donors have gone over to Hillary Clinton already. Meanwhile, Democratic frontrunner Hillary Clinton begins airing her first television ads called Family Strong tomorrow. Zimbabwe officials announced yesterday that another American doctor killed a lion there illegally. Jan Seski, a cancer doctor from Pittsburgh, allegedly shot a lion with a bow and arrow on a farm owned by a safari tour operator. However, a Zimbabwe National Park spokeswoman said the hunt was done in an area where lion hunting is outlawed. The farm owner was arrested on suspicious, a suspicion of hunting without a permit and quota. The Zimbabwe government has suspended bow hunting and all big game hunting around the national park where Cecil the lion was recently killed by American dentist Walter Palmer. No word on whether Zimbabwe will seek to extradite Seski like they are for Palmer. A bat boy for an amateur baseball league team in Kansas died last night after being hit in the head by a bat. Nine-year-old Kaiser Carlisle was running to pick up a bat after an out on Saturday when he was accidentally hit by a batter taking a practice swing. The umpire began giving the boy first aid until help arrived. Carlisle had been the team's bat boy for most of the season. Officials have ordered thousands of people to leave their homes this morning after the Rocky Fire northwest of Sacramento nearly tripled in size over the weekend. There's veteran firefighters out there, 30-plus 30, 30 year veteran firefighters that are saying they've never seen fire behavior like this. It's beyond extreme. That Stretching was fu- That was firefighter Ron Oatman. The blaze, which is just 5% contained, has already destroyed 24 homes and is threatening over 6,000 more. California is under a state of emergency as 25 wildfires continue to burn across the state. And, Matt, the numbers are in. Mission Impossible Rogue Nation took the top spot, raking in $56 million in its first three days. $9 of that coming from Did you go see it? I did. It was awesome. Rogue Nation barely missed the franchise record of $57.8 million held by oh. Mission Impossible 2 way back in 2000. Vacation came in at number two and Ant-Man number three, but Mission Impossible loved it. So well, did much you fun. love it? I did, loved it. Did so Tom much fun. Cruise uh, look hot? Um, you Is know, he aging? 
Yeah, you didn't really, yes, yeah, see much, you know, his physique like you did yeah. in the previous yeah. ones, but it was just action packed. There was this uh, scene, um, motorcycle scene, where he's chasing after the woman. Uh-huh. It was incredible. It was a blast. I loved it. I've got to get out. It <laughs> was really, really fun. <laughs> that, because there's also that beginning scene where he's walking on an airplane. Yeah, wing that was or whatever. amazing. Yeah, that was right off the top, right off the top. So it was just action packed the entire totally time. Totally action packed the whole time. Did you I, cry? I mean, was there nope, emotion? Never cried. The woman I thought was fabulous. She was very good in cool. it. Some of her uh, fighting in it was was quite quite remarkable. Yeah, is it, she was great. Is um is there? Do they say any words in the entire movie? Yeah, they speak quite okay, a bit. Okay, do they? Uh-huh. Yeah, so they it's do. not just all action. <laughs> no, but the way I love how it comes full circle. What happens to him in the beginning happens. To somebody, I'm not going to say who yeah, at the yeah. end, and it's just kind of cool, kind of the same, kind of the same thing. Did it you, was wonderful. Did you see um, these? The, what's going on with the Mars pictures? No. So I guess we're getting images from Mars mm-hmm. from one of our uh, landers that went there, uh-huh. and now as they're looking at the footage, they're they're starting to f- see things that are weird, like like crab monsters. Crab monsters. Like in the cracks of like mountains, they can see little crabs, just little like monster-like crabs. <laughs> like crabs that we would eat here? Yeah. Hmm. And yetis? <laughs> yetis. <laughs> no. I don't know. But what they're saying is we, we've, as, you know, we've got a problem because we get these pictures from Mars and then we, we look at them with our eyes thinking, oh, well, that looks like a crab. That looks like a crab stuck in a crevice. <laughs> It's really not, but we we we're messed up now. Now mm-hmm. we can't even look at any photos of that. Is that a wampa? Is that a oompa loompa? <laughs> That's an oompa loompa. Where'd they got oompa loompas on Mars? So I think our scientists are in trouble. You're making me want some. Chocolate There's a yeti. We found reason. a yeti and an oompa loompa. And hey, what's um. What's what is the, the day today? You haven't said that yet. Today is the third, by the way, which <laughs> is an important day. <laughs> This is the day of – this is the celebrating watermelons. Watermelon, oh, watermelon day. day. Yeah. Happy Watermelon Day. I love watermelon. I love it oh, too. That's a good day. You know that uh, we, we consume a lot of watermelon. You won't believe this. Here's a stat for you. Did you know that 92% of watermelon is water? <laughs> yeah. I did know that actually. Yeah. yeah a lot of water. 7% percent yeah. And you have to melon. eat it with salt. Oh, yeah. You put salt on I it? do. Yeah. My son brought back some stuff from Mexico that was like pepper. You put a you put like this hot pepper on it. On watermelon? Uh-huh. He, was it good? No, it was horrible. <laughs> say that sounds horrible. It was horrible. He's like, "Oh, try this dad." And it was like horrible. <laughs> but he liked it. Yeah, watermelon, 92% water, 7% melon, 1% seeds. I mean, Yeah, I always try to buy the seedless. But if you notice you buy the seedless and there's still seeds. Yeah. Lots of seeds. I don't know why they call it seedless. What a ripoff. Uh, early expo- explorers used watermelons as canteens. Hmm. You know? You just get uh, you all just, of it I out. You, yeah, you, put, you clean it out, and then you all of a sudden you have a really, really good canteen with a slight hint of watermelon flavor. <laughs> and they used to pickle, they used to pickle the, the rind. You know, those are, that's the, those are the facts we bring you from the Matt Townsend Show. Because, again, a lot of shows might not even notice that it's Watermelon Day. But here we like to go the extra mile. Happy Watermelon Day to you. And also, in just a few minutes, uh, we got a great uh, – one of my favorite segments of the week is the, is the, you know, what's happening behind the scenes in politics. We're going to have Joe Cannon joining us, our Washington insider. 
We're going to be talking about the debates. What should you be doing to prepare for a debate? Man, what a great quote. Listen to this. Ohio Governor John Kasich's uh, political strategist, John Weaver, said, In preparation for the debate, imagine a NASCAR driver mentally preparing for a race, knowing that one of the drivers will be drunk. That's what debate prep is like. I wonder who they're talking about when they think of a drunk driver at NASCAR, you know, in relation to the debate. Hmm, I wonder who that could be. We'll take a break. Coming back with Joe Cannon. Find out what uh, what's the inside scoop on debate prep right here on the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, I got to read this clip. I read part of it before the break, but I'm dying to hear what uh, Joe Cannon, our Washington insider, says about it. Um, Joe is, uh, he's hes actually, we call him our Washington insider. He's been a chairman of the Utah Republican Party here in the state of Utah. He was a candidate for U.S. Senate in 92, served in the administration under Reagan, um, in from eighty three to eighty five, he was the editor of the Deseret News uh, in oh um, six, which is a really it's a it's a fairly big uh, Intermountain newspaper here in the in the Intermountain area, and uh, is currently CEO of Fuel Freedom Foundation, but uh, that's trying to lower our costs of fuel. We bring Joe on because he's in the know. Joe, thanks for being here. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for having me. I'm not in the know. Okay, listen to this. This is hilarious. Ohio uh, Governor John Kasich's political strategist, John Weaver, said in preparing for the debate, it's, he says, imagine a NASCAR driver mentally preparing for a race knowing that one of the drivers will be drunk. <laughs> That's yeah. what it's like. He says yeah. – and so I'm wondering who you think he's thinking the drunk driver in the debate will be. <laughs> <laughs> well, to be really mean, I guess he could be thinking it'd be Rick Perry, but Rick Perry isn't even going to make <laughs> yeah. the. Uh, is he is, not in the top he, tier right now? He's not in the top tier right right this moment. He's just a little bit behind right. Kasich. By yeah. the way, I but mean, so, if I buy Christie, I guess Christie is holding the tenth spot. If we're if oh, we're doing the, the NASCAR, yeah. you know, so he he's got the and the pole position would be uh, Trump. Trump, but is in the pole position. It seems like the drunk uh, driver in the debate is in the pole yeah, position for sure. Yeah, that, <laughs> which might be uh, the safest place to keep him for a while. Maybe. <laughs> Sad but true. Hey, um, when you look at this, because Fox did something, it seems like CNN's going to have all of them on the stage at once. Is that what CNN's doing? Do you know? So I don't know that. You know, yeah. I'm sorry. I, I, I thought I heard yeah. that somewhere. That Fox is doing a little different. They've broken them into two teams. They're calling the adult table and <laughs> right, the, kid. the, the kids table. <laughs> but really what it is is top ten and then the remainder – the remaining six are going to have a pre-debate. Right. And uh, many are saying that if you had to choose, it might be better to be in the, the pre-debate with the six people, might have more time to voice their opinion, get their information out there than those that are all fighting with Trump. It could be. But when you look at the six who are down there – uh, just say we'd make the cutoff at Christie. You've got Perry, Jindal, Rick Santorum, Carly right, Fiorina, right. and Graham. Okay. With maybe the possible exception of Perry, who who could play because he's the governor of a really big state. Yeah. 
and 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 I would really like to see Fiorina in. I but seriously see. speaking, those people are not serious contenders. They're not. They're I think not. It, in we ought to be asking a different question. Do we even need ten? That's a great point. Uh, I mean, you know, there are. You know, it's like, it feels like you got to have Fiorina in there to represent the female idea. Well, she's she's a woman. She's a strong woman. She's a, she's a strong speaker. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think she would add a lot to that debate. But, but Trump, I'm going to say she's not going to be the president. So if you no. really look okay. at it, uh, but maybe we, vice president. Oh, well, she could be vice president, but so could actually. I guess all of them. Well, I don't think. Graham or Santorum or have much of a chance to be vice president. But yeah. Fiorina for sure does. Uh, Perry for sure does. I mean, those are those are people that for uh, political and, and uh, demographic reasons you definitely consider. Now, is Kasich in? He's in. Yeah. He's actually number nine yeah. on, the, on the latest. So it's between uh, Kasich and yeah. – which is interesting because – so the governor of New Jersey, the governor of Ohio and the governor of – I guess ex-governor of Texas. Mm-hmm. Those three are vying for the, the lowest position. That <laughs> is like are, ludicrous, isn't yeah. it? I mean right. those are big states. Yeah. And you've got former Governor, governor Huckabee in there uh-huh. who, who honestly – he should be in the, the, the lower, lower tier. tier. I mean he's uh, – He's not going to be president. He's at the speed of light for yeah. him. Um, well, yeah, especially after his other comments. Huh? Carson, who's a, a really wonderful speaker. I've, I've heard him speak. Yeah. He's very genuine, very good. He's also not – uh, he's not going to get anywhere. He's in the fourth position at uh, 10 percent yeah. of the vote. How – what's Carson's appeal been? Because well, he is so soft-spoken and he said some things in the press that make people wonder. Yeah. I – Part of his appeal is he's very strongly pro-life, and he used the occasion at the uh, at the uh, prayer breakfast mm-hmm. to make a big point yeah. with President uh, Obama sitting there. So he gets marks for courage. Mm-hmm. He's African American, yeah. brilliant he's, man. He's he's got a fabulous story. I mean, before yeah. I ever knew he had any political. Uh, in- inclination. I-, I watched his. Uh, there's a movie about yeah, his life. I'll I look it to up. See it. Yeah. And uh, wow, it, you know, he's got a, a fabulous story about so, a mom that raised yeah. him, and you know, in the inner city, and raised right. basically a guy, a boy that she'd have read books every day, and raised a neuroscientist, a neurosurgeon. Right. Exactly. Who? Who? Uh, who? You know. It, just being a neurosurgeon itself is pretty impressive, but he was a pioneer even in that field in terms mm-hmm. of separating Siamese twins, and you know, just he, he's got a great story. Gifted he's a, he's hands, the Ben guy. Carson story. Yeah, and uh, but I'm I'm just sorry, I, I the guy has a great story. He's not going to be. Present. You got to be a better politician, you know, a better maneuver, and a better, more able to get the money, more able to get the. Yeah. But so when you look at this, is there an advantage? And, well, I guess, first of all, what are we supposed to do when you have 10 people in a debate with one of them maybe driving drunk, hypothetically, yeah. um, or, you know, rhetorically, what – how do you prepare for Trump and how do you prepare for such a thing? You've, you've been on these campaigns. Well, yeah, nothing like that. But uh, I think the the – Trump is doing what he has to do. All he has to do is show that he's not an idiot. And, you know, uh, you know he's probably not an idiot. Although yeah. It sounds like an idiot plenty of times. But he, he's got to show that he is a serious candidate to bust, beyond, bust out beyond 
the uh, the support that he has now. So I'm expecting he is going to come in and, like he says, he's not going to be throwing punches. He's going to make some policy statements to show yeah. that, yeah, there's something to back up. Who knows what will happen because even the people close to him, he's uh, – <laughs> I, I, I'm very reluctant to use this term, but something of a loose cannon. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, you don't – you can't – he just – he needs to go – he needs to be free. Yeah, so – I, I think his people's strategy and maybe his own strategy is to look like a substantive, uh, thoughtful guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, everybody else has to distinguish themselves from everybody else, and you know. So the the biggest the biggest thing that any one of these guys was going to want to say is, "I could win. I could be the next president." Mm-hmm. So you're going to hear. Kasich, just to go back to him, he's he's going to say, "Look, I'm the governor of the the most important state of the world." He's going he's going to do his policy. Pull their thing stuff, too. yeah. But the fact that he came out already throwing that's a really hard punch. Yeah. Uh, hey, we got a drunk driver. We got ten of us, and one of us is drunk. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, there could be some knives out for yeah. him, and that's a way they could distinguish. Themselves. I guess that's it. So it seems like one of the ways is to take a shot at Trump. Yeah. So it seems like a lot of them are going to. Take a shot, and and it seems like but Christie. You know, Christie is uh, is he's a tough is Trump Junior. Yeah, when it, when it yeah. comes to you know throwing punches, uh, verbal they're both punches. In New Jersey, yeah. which is ironic. <laughs> Maybe it's not, is it? Uh, okay, let's do this. We'll come back. We'll talk more about the debate. I also want to hear about Biden. Uh, is he actually going to enter the race? Love to hear your thoughts on that. Uh, plus, you know, this whole President Obama's released this new EPA thing. This new Clean, clean air, clean power. Play, clean yeah, power. Mm-hmm. yeah, we'll see. Uh, I want your take on all of that. We'll take a break. Come back more with Joe Cannon, our Washington insider, right here on the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Let's uh, we're, we're back here with Joe Cannon from Fuel Freedom Foundation, fuelfreedom.org. He's our Washington insider, helping us understand a little bit more about debate, the debate preparation. Uh, they've divided it into the big table and the little table. Ten or so uh, candidates will have a shot uh, from the GOP Um and then, and five will have an, or five or six will have an earlier uh, debate opportunity. Let's listen to what Trump is saying. Clip number three, Ben, of uh, what cl- uh, what Trump is actually clip number two. Sorry about what Trump is saying about his debate prep. I look forward to the debate. And when you say not preparing, I'm preparing, but I prepare by seeing what's going on. I, I don't have pollsters telling me every move that you know I can't say this, I can't say that. I don't want to have pollsters. You know, I see what these pollsters and how much they're paid by the other camps, and the other camps are frozen if they don't have their pollsters. They can't even respond. How real is that? Are these – do they just all go by polls and what they need to say? What do you think? Well, first, I'd be very surprised if Donald Trump hasn't done some polling. Oh, that would on. just be yeah. – that would be uh, stupid unless he's, he's trying to make the point that he's making. But uh, – Sooner or later, you have to do polling. Yeah, there's no. You got to know what's out uh, there. Yeah. So, are are some candidates really poll driven? Uh, a lot are, 
But this particular crowd doesn't strike me as, to to be fair, with the possible exception of Bush, but even Bush is going contrary to to polling. He's Mm. sticking to his positions, even though his polls have got to show him that his support for Common Core and his immigration uh, uh, views are way out of the – of where the Republican primary voters are. So – I don't think Trump's criticism is particularly valid of this crowd. They all seem to be going to their own drummer. Hmm. Who who do you sense has the most has the best opportunity to move the needle by this debate? And who's most at risk? Yeah. So well, just going through the I would say uh if Christie makes it in Christie and Kasich, they're at the bottom end. Mm-hmm. Kasich has come up quite a bit since he since he announced, but he's still, you know, single digits, low low yeah. single digits. I think them making a good presentation on that stage, saying, "Look, I can win, and and I've got the experience to do it." They have a good chance. You know, who knows? Carson, we we talk, yeah. we, we love Carson. Uh, uh, I I don't see him actually winning, but. You know, all he has to show is, hey, you know what? I'm here. I'm 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 in the stand stage with these guys, and and I can post up against them just as right. well as anybody. And so, dare say, I mean, he yeah. he seems to dare say stuff that needs to be said. Right. Yeah, he's not he's not a flamboyant person. No. In fact, he's his sort of it's kind of that. Yeah, I don't even want to call it a shtick because I think it's quite genuine in his case. He says, <laughs> look, I I'm not an angry person. I, I don't need to be angry. I don't need to cause anger. And he's he kind of lulls you to yeah, sleep, yeah. and then he reminds me of the tortoise. He, the tortoise he, in the hair. He, he could be the tortoise, uh, but I I do think it's the governors who have a chance to say, look, okay, we are the grownups at this table. Mm-hmm. We have done stuff. We've wrestled with real problems, and here's what we could do for the country. You know, um, in a in an odd way, I think that um, that actually Trump has the most to lose in this. Um, uh, he 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 could come out just where he is in terms of. His level of popularity, but could he, to move up, he's got to do something different. He's got to show that I'm, and he knows this mm-hmm. already. That clip that you played and other other yeah, clips he over knows. the weekend, he knows. He, okay, I've gotten a pretty long way with my big fat mouth. Now uh, I got to show there's some brains here. I can't just say you know his answer to almost every policy question is because I said so because <laughs> because I'm John Donald Trump. Yeah. Well, okay, yeah, people, some set of people beyond the. The the protest vote that he's getting now going to want to say, well, what does that mean? But see, it seems like you could also offer fairly basic ideas because that's one of the things that President Obama has been throwing at the Republicans for. Well, give me a better idea. I'd love mm-hmm. to hear an idea. And it's almost like you don't necessarily hear a lot of new ideas out there. Why are they not? I guess is it just too early to throw your ideas out there? You don't hear a lot of them with – Strong, I, strong new ideas or solutions. Well, I mean, you, you hear um, uh, Senator Paul is very strong on a flat tax mm-hmm. and simplifying the tax yeah. code. That's he's kind of optimizing around that. You've got Kasich saying, "Look, I'm the budget balancer guy. Right. I'm that guy. If you're worried about crazy, insane budgets, I'm the guy who who knows how to do that." Um, uh, m- most of them. Though have to persuade 
Republican primary voters that they're in their wheelhouse. Right. And so it's so, not so, a lot yeah. of policy talk. Well, and bringing up a lot of ideas, too, would, would corner you before you get to the big election. Well, I mean, I mean, all of them are pitching ideas that are pretty, mm-hmm. you know, all of them are pro-life, all of them are against taxes. I mean, it's pretty hard to distinguish yourself on some of the core uh, Republican primary voter issues. Yeah. I mean, I guess um, that's it. Which crowd are they playing to? The Iowa crowd? Or are they playing to the New Hampshire crowd? Yeah. yeah. Well, you're seeing them, like we were talking on the break, you're seeing them optimize around that. Some are saying, you know, kind of, they're not, no one's going to say, I'm, well, Bush actually may have said that, that I'm blowing off Iowa. But but basically, they are optimizing where they think the first two states for sure. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, South Carolina is a little bit of a wild card because you've got Graham and, yeah. you know, who knows how that and is. And Graham's right. like lowest on the list right now. Yeah. What do you think about that using – because they're using an overall national average for all these decision-making and who's in the debate and where. Yet we're really having two or three different elections right now, right? We're having the Ohio election, which is the, the – which is – or the, the you know, Iowa. I mean, well, yeah, sorry, the Iowa election, which is much more conservatively focused. New Hampshire, a little more liberal, Unitarian, kind of not, kind of more to the not so conservative part of the Republican Party. Yeah. So, why are we using national polls? Well, that's a good question. I, th- I think it's very, very hard, notoriously hard, to poll Iowa in any case because you've only yeah. got uh, you know several thousand self-selected delegates. That come out. You you might know who the delegates in the past are, and that might give you some That's indication. True, huh? But a lot of a lot of pollsters are saying, including the Des Moines Register, you know, it's very difficult. And they have a great poll. They're they're a very valid Iowa poll. Um, how do you really mm-hmm. uh, poll Iowa? Yeah, it, and, I guess you can because they're well, not. It's hard. It's just hard, and you can get some idea, but not not. I don't think anyone thinks you can get a reliable number. Out of that, and and you know why not do the national poll? I mean, the whole thing is a little bit arbitrary anyway. You're saying we got sixteen or seventeen people, right? Uh, how do we refine that? Like I say, I think maybe one of the questions: Do you really need ten? Uh, you know, right? The debate. Yeah. And then you, like you said earlier, CNN is saying, "Well, we'll just put all of them up there and have a big food fight," which, <laughs> which, um, actually, Britain did. Only oh, they didn't have ten. They, yeah. They, they put a bunch of people up there who no one ever heard of. And and it uh, it, it I guess it worked. I mean, I guess that worked in a way. What do you think about uh, moving to the other side, uh, Joe Biden? You think he's actually coming back in? There's all this talk that his his, his son Bo before he passed away. So Wayne Owens had a very famous statement. Wayne Owens, former yeah. congressman, now deceased uh, uh, Democrat from Utah, said, "When you want to run, one voice whispering in your ear." Sounds like the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. There's <laughs> no great. question that Joe Biden would love to be president yeah. of the United States. No question. He's been vice president, but even before, he's yeah, he's he already run. It. So we know he's infected. We know that he's yeah. you know he's got the got the bug. And the question is, how realistic is it? And and it's been so prohibitively, presumptively, you know, impossible to think that you could beat the Hillary machine, which right. has been at it for you know, a couple of, well, more than a decade now. Um, so how do you beat that? So I think he's kind of standing on the side saying to letting, I think he's letting people know, hey, I might be available. I might be available. Let's not put all of our chips out hmm. there for for Hillary because she, 
it's you know her her approval rating has really taken taken the hit. It hit, yeah. Um, well, it seems like with every release of new documents, it takes another hit. It shows her losing to you know three of them of the Republican candidates right, right now in 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 major states, and that and that's where she's got a hundred percent name ID, and with the exception of Trump, I actually haven't seen a Trump Hillary. Uh, he's yet. down by like twelve, I think, but, to Hillary. But if, if anyone has more negatives than Hillary, it's Donald Trump. So uh, <laughs> that could be a fun battle. Ed Rendell, former governor of Pennsylvania, um, will you run clip for me nine? Ben, this is what he says may be Biden's problem. No, he shouldn't run. If he was going to run, he should have started a year ago consolidating support, getting to donors. Almost all the Biden donors have gone over to Hillary Clinton already. So what what problem with that? I mean, if if Hillary's kind of locked down a lot of the money, does that money stay locked down to the end, or will they all bolt if she starts sliding too far? Well, first I would just say Ed Rendell is a very smart guy, but he's also a Hillary guy. So is he? It's, it's to, to you know he's clearly you know taking taking <laughs> shots. If the vice president of the United States, I'll say it a different way. If Hillary Clinton shows that there's blood in the water there, there's there, 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 yeah, she's, she's susceptible got... to a shark attack there. Um, Biden has the name ID. He has the presence. He's got a lot of political operatives who've worked for him for a long time. He could come in. I mean, you know, yeah. we're, we're, he's we're the vice president. Yeah, yeah. So he, uh, whether he gets it or not, depends. I think entirely on his assessment. Uh, uh, how realistic that is, I don't know. But mm-hmm. on his assessment of Hillary's chances, and if he can come in and make the case, look, she's going to lose. Yeah, she's going to get our nomination right right now. That's that's a that's a foregone conclusion. Yeah. So the question you have to ask yourself, my colleague, my fellow Democrats, this is Biden speaking, is who's going to be president? You know, in 2016, who's going to win that election? And look, she's losing to a guy named Marco Rubio, who no one knows outside of Florida. We all, yeah. you know, political junkies, they all know who he is. But I mean, to say his overall national name idea is very low. Isn't that um, interesting? So I think how Biden perceives Clinton's chances are, how, how that is, is going to be the, the decision-making. What's the background on this? Because is there's always seemed like there's a, some weird blood between Clintons and Obama. So there's no question that there is a deep-seated – I mean, it's all papered over on – Because she ran against cover. him, right? Yeah. She was running against him. Right. And she played the race card. She did some things that, that they still – they, the Obama uh, team, are still upset about. So, yeah, they have this very uneasy alliance because they're all on the same team. Mm-hmm. They, for sure, Obama wants Hillary more than any other yeah. – any of the Republicans. So they're doing all they can to to cover over that. But underneath, there are plenty of Clintonistas and Obamaites yeah. who really hate each other. And I and I know some on either side. And He, he made her, though, secretary of state and mm-hmm. yet – you know, she she is creating one of the most popular scandals coming out of his administration with the whole email gate thing. Right, right. And right now you're seeing a little bit of posting up there because over the last week the people said, why don't you release more? And she said, hey, hey, it's not me. It's the State Department. Right. You, you go talk to talk them. Talk to the They're State the Department. You know, and so that's basically saying talk to the administration and – 
You know, it's um, it's interesting. And so yeah. behind the scenes, they really might like the idea of Biden running, too. That would be because if because Obama made the comment that he would love to run again and he'd probably win if he ran again. Well, Biden would be an obvious he sign be, of that. He, would, he could be the, the third Obama uh, president administration. You know, every Republican say, well, no, Hillary Clinton is the third reincarnation of Obama. Well, and she is. I mean, except she, because she's not. she well. Liberal at, at the personality enough. level, there's no question that there are differences uh, between the Obama folks and the Clinton yeah. folks. But in policy, there's not much. And even if there were, she cannot afford to deviate very much yeah. from his policy and still uh, retain that base that she she has to have to win. So she's in an awkward situation that way. Stuff. Talk about uh, in our last few minutes Obama's clean power plan. So you're you you are the CEO of a nonprofit organization, Fuel Freedom Foundation, fuelfreedom.org, right. trying to bring low cost fuels to America. What what do you see in Obama's clean power plan? Well, um, first of all, the focus of our our focus is on transportation fuel, i.e., oil, oil, gas. And one of the things about this plan, you know, whatever the president does with what are called stationary sources, uh, is you know that that is important from his perspective on global warming. But still, the single largest percentage of greenhouse gas emissions comes from cars. Mm-hmm. So from our perspective, we're saying, okay, focus we're spending on that. a lot of time on electricity, but let's let's have an, uh, a little more focus on 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 petroleum, on, on gasoline, because that is the single biggest source. I mean, obviously, it's 250 million little sources, but <laughs> co- collectively, uh, uh, gasoline is is a, is, uh, is more significant than power plant emissions. So we're saying, look. You've got a cheaper, cleaner fuel right here in America, natural gas. And to be fair, the Obama administration wants to optimize around natural gas. But we're saying, hey, figure out ways to get natural gas into the fuel system. You'll cut greenhouse gas emissions if that's what you're worried about. You'll save money if that's what you're worried about. You'll stop sending uh, billions and billions of dollars to um, Saudi Arabia and other countries that don't have our best interests at heart, now including Iran, by the way. Um, so we're saying for all – there are a lot of good reasons, national security, economic, yeah. and environmental to say let's let's change the fuel. Let's get competition at the pump. Let's let people have a choice. And by the way, that choice would be a cheaper, cleaner, American-made fuel. Right, and that so, wasn't part of it or as well, big of a part the, of it. The whole overall – when, when you look at uh, greenhouse gas emissions, when you look at the whole environmental – uh, regime. It's divided into electricity and mm. natural gas. Or I mean, uh, and uh, transportation. And this whole thing, the new, the new uh, uh, climate proposal by the president is all about electricity. Hmm. It's not. It's not about uh, gasoline. That doesn't mean they're not thinking about gasoline. He. he what do you feel about? He kind of snuck it again in again, or he's sneaking it in again under uh, his um, his what's it called powers to. Administrative power. Yeah, so administrative what he's powers. doing is trying to do by regulation. Yeah. Uh, so the Supreme Court has recently kind of uh, hit EPA on the head and the administration on the head saying you've got to consider cost in some of these regulations. The How much and, – and by the way, a predecessor of this is also boiling up to the Supreme Court uh, mm. uh, for decision and it's got some very big – heavy hitters on both sides as to what is what is the reach of the Constitution 
<coughs> excuse me, what what is the reach of the Clean Air Act? Where are the constitutional bounds to that? And those issues are bubbling up. Uh, so we're so, going to have another kind of standoff at the Supreme Court on an Obama. Well, we've already policy. had one where where the Supreme Court said no, and in your mercury rule, you needed to consider cost. But everybody's viewing that as much broader application hmm. case. Well, not everybody does, but in any case, other cases challenging the regulation of power plants yeah. are are bubbling up in the court system. Anything else we need to worry about as you think about uh, the news? We've focused on quite a bit. I think no, standing. I, mean, out. I think I think if you're a political junkie, uh, <laughs> all eyes this are on, is the on week. Thursday's debate. <laughs> oh my heavens! And I have a wedding that night, so man, <laughs> I'm gonna miss it. Well, Joe Canna, we appreciate you. Great Thanks, stuff. As Thanks always. so much for having me. I really travel safely that. as well because you. Uh, it's raining out there. Okay. Don't get wet. Joe Cannon again. Go check out the website uh, Fuel Freedom Foundation. Fuelfreedom dot org. Great work he's doing there for you to to lower your gas prices, your fuel prices. We'll take a break. Come back to a quick wrap up of this first hour. You're listening to the Matt Townsend Show right here on BYU Radio. To the Matt Townsend Show. You know, politics, isn't it interesting? And, you know, love it or hate it, it's just part of our lives. And there is an interesting little microcosm of life that takes place in the political world. Each one of those candidates has something they're trying to offer you one way or another. And as a voter, I think we all need to be very realistic about it. I mean, think it through. Do you want your president to just be somebody who fights back? Because if you do, you got your guy. Trump's your guy. Uh, do you want this person to uh, actually be really strong in, um, you know, maybe fighting more for, uh, you know, a strong, aggressive defense strategy? Because if you do, you probably have your Lindsey Graham. But in the end, who do you want? And is there anybody that that matters uh, or that brings you more than the next guy? Uh, again, it's interesting to me that certain things like trustworthiness with uh, Hillary Clinton's numbers and even uh, Donald Trump's numbers, we sometimes we don't trust our politician. And yet, does that matter to you? We, we think it should matter. You know, we kind of say, well, yeah, you got to trust your president. But Hillary Clinton made a really good point that her husband didn't have really high trust numbers, and yet he was he was elected twice. So is trust really a key or is getting the job done the key? This is this is your government. This is your you know, this is your world. So. You know, I don't know. You're going to see these candidates coming up. I would just challenge it to not just I mean, some people love this. Right. And they're already listening to all of the the shows and all the political talk shows. They're into it. They already know who's what, what's going on, who ran last time. But whether you're into it or not, can I just challenge you to be willing to get a little bit more into it and go find the real candidate that represents what you think needs to be in the presidency? Just find it. 
And maybe you'll not necessarily fall in love with politics, but maybe you'll start to understand the responsibility that we all have of choosing a better candidate. Again, I, I personally don't care for you if it's Republican or Democrat. I don't think – I think everybody's flawed <laughs> and I think there is no such thing as just one side or the other that is the key. I do believe that there are certain principles that will matter much more than others and uh, I would I would just hope that we'd all get much more involved as we go through this. Again, you can complain about it the, your whole life or you can actually go in and do something about it by being a you know an informed participating member uh and and voter and get out there and get involved and learn learn about the issues anyway if that's the least you do just start reading a little bit more and and you don't just have to go to the most obvious source of your you know where you want your information you don't just have to go to the big cable companies or the big or Fox News or CNN or MSNBC there's other programs. There's other really informative uh, magazines, newspaper outlets. Anyway, we're going to take a break. Hour number one. It's in the can, my friends. Good stuff. We'll come back with a whole new hour, more interesting insight. We'll be talking about video games and empathy with a BYU professor. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show right here on BYU Radio. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. This is the show where we give you the tools, the ideas you need to help you grow a healthier, happier life. And, uh... Man, have we got a great show for you today. Today we're going to be discussing the impact of video games on your empathy. Now, do you believe video games can enhance your relationships with others? Can they help you understand the world around you? Or are they just big time wasters? Just time wasters. Come on. We'll be speaking with a BYU professor who uh, happens to have put together an entire humanities class here at BYU, that uh, is going to talk about video games. So you can go in and learn the uh, the benefits of playing video games. And really, what you're actually going to learn is probably more based in, you know, about social life, empathy, the ability to see things from another person's perspective. Anyway, Dr. Michael Call will be joining us to talk about this new humanities class. I uh, It's a humanities class, 280R, and uh, it's called the Humanities and Pop Culture. And it's attracting a lot of students who are learning and want to think critically about video games. It's one thing to just hate something, right? And as parents, we might just hate video games. But it's another thing to see what we're learning, what uh, how it can help us, how it doesn't. Now, interesting news out of Italy. I don't know if you saw this, but Italian police have seized... A lot of money from Snoop Dogg. Snoop Dogg caught at the airport with apparently $422,000 in cash. That's a lot of cash. I mean, that's like what Ben carries around. Four hundred and twenty, dollars about $3,000 in cash, which uh, is 
well above the maximum amount of cash that the passengers are allowed to carry through without declaring it, which is 10,000 pounds um, or 10,000 euros, which is about $11,000. So, you know, he's, 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 he's in trouble, right? It just seems like you would know you can't take $422,000 in your carry-on. There's other things you can't, for example, take 422,000 goldfish. Can't do that either. Not <laughs> a good idea. Not a good idea. You can't take even four horses. You can't carry four horses on. You can, I even guess. Even if you bought their seats? You can no? ship them. Yeah, you, you can't them. carry them okay. on. But you can't carry a unicorn on, Ben. I'm going to have to rethink my Hawaii trip. <laughs> yeah, where, how are you going to get all that money home you've been making here? Well, I was worried about the unicorn, actually. Uh, but, you, uh, yeah. Have you found a unicorn? Well, yeah. You bought but, one. But I can't bring it to Hawaii now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, unicorns don't travel. <laughs> Unless you get a Pegasus unicorn, then you can just fly there. Isn't that crazy? 422000 He's like, what? I was just going to pay my band. Can't, now, what's wrong with carrying that much money? You just, it's, you know, it's his money. Well, it's his money. But it, to bring in half a million dollars in cash, you know, who knows They're what you're going to go do with it. Yeah, That's just yeah. weird. You can't bring in dead bodies either. That's probably a good thing. You can't just, you know, do that. That was obvious. You'd think some things would just be obvious. Like when you're packing $422,000 in your carry-on, like, aren't you thinking, He's very hmm. wealthy. He's very wealthy. He probably has that much just in bling. <laughs> That's pocket change, right? <laughs> pocket change. Chump change. Anyway, so Snoop Dogg, you know, he basically, the police seized $205,000 of it. So now he's got to, I guess, go back and get it. I mean, that's the problem. That's a pretty heavy tax. Just everybody out there, learn from Snoop Dogg. When you have to get $420,000-plus somewhere, don't put it in your carry-on. You're going to just lose it. It's amazing they can find the money, but they can't find guns and everything else when they try to smuggle them. Have you seen that, how so many times they've gone through when they haven't been caught? That's scary. that is scary. That's weird, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Money comes up. Money shows up, but not the guns. If anybody feels bad for Snoop, you know, find him, tweet him, send him your love. Uh, well, uh, let's go to the headlines, see what else is going on. The first GOP presidential debate is just days away, and Donald Trump enters as the front runner, according to a new NBC Wall Street Journal poll with 19% of the GOP primary vote. Scott Walker and Jeb Bush are close behind. Yesterday, Trump's campaign fired political advisor Sam Nunberg, who was accused of making racist posts on his Facebook page. That's dating back to 2007. Trump's campaign manager said the posts were offensive and do not reflect Trump's position. On the Democratic side, Hillary Clinton will unveil her first television ads called Family Strong tomorrow in Iowa and New Hampshire. Meanwhile, Vice President Joe Biden is debating whether or not to run against Mrs. Clinton. Here's Democratic strategist Steve McMahon. Joe Biden was elected to the Senate when he was 29 years old, and he's been a rising star in the party ever since. This man has wanted to be president his entire life, so it's not surprising that he would be thinking about whether or not he wants to make a run in 2016. 
President Obama has outlined proposals to limit carbon pollution released from the nation's power plants. The regulations would require a 32 percent decrease of the emissions by 2030. The president also said 28 percent of plants' power must come from renewable energy sources. The Senate is scheduled to vote today on whether or not to stop federal funding to Planned Parenthood. This coming after recent undercover videos exposed the practice of selling fetal tissue to researchers. Sixty votes are needed to meet the threshold, which means some Democrats would have to cross over. Senate Minority Leader Harry Reid said the vote is an attack on women's health, and the White House said it would block legislation to defund the pro-choice organization. The manhunt for a police killer in Memphis continues this morning. Officer Sean Bolton, a five-year veteran, was shot several times during a traffic stop over the weekend. Tremont Wilborn was the passenger and believed to be the shooter. A warrant for his arrest on first-degree murder charges has been issued. Memphis Police Director Tony Armstrong talked about the suspect. When you look at this individual, you're looking at a coward. He's a coward. You gun down, you murder a police officer for less than two grams of marijuana. Wilborn is a convicted bank robber who was recently released. He's still at large and considered armed and dangerous. Thousands of people have been ordered to leave their homes this morning after the rocky fire northwest of Sacramento nearly tripled in size over the weekend. The blaze, which is just 5% contained, has already destroyed 24 homes and is threatening over 6,000 more. California is under a state of emergency as 25 wildfires continue to burn across the state. Mission Impossible Rogue Nation took the top spot at the box office this weekend, raking in $56 million in its first three days. Vacation came in at number two and Ant-Man number three. And Matt, I know you are a huge fan of MMA fighting. Absolutely. Did you see Ronda Rousey's Holy fight? Holy cow, 30-something seconds. <laughs> 34 seconds. Oh, is that crazy? That is crazy. She is. She's She's scary. I Do mean, you, she's really scary. Well, and in the weigh-in, the, her opponent was like, she did something extreme, made some face or something. Do you yeah, remember that? It was that, crazy. Yeah, that was really strange. But she, Rousey was really upset at the woman for making some hurtful comments about her family. I can't, I'm can't. i sure I'm going to not say her name right. Beth Kohaya or something? I'm, yeah. I'm not sure how to pronounce it. Felt right. Yeah, felt good. Anyway, you never, you never want to no. get Ronda Rousey mad. Uh, her quickest win, by the way, came in for 14 seconds. She's won, I think, six of her last fights in less than 130 seconds total. Combined. I know. She so, just comes in after you and just crushes you. It she beat most men. Like, it, it, am, I, am I crazy here? But I don't know that I'd be real mouthy if I'm no. about to fight her. Exactly. Well, that woman was undefeated as well, so I'm sure she thought well, yeah, she had a chance. But She did. She had 34 seconds. She had 34 seconds, and you're out. She but knocked she, her out. She came out. Ronda Rousey came out just on fuego. Oh, yeah. I I would have just cowered and and, yeah. and hit the mat, you know. You know, as a kid, I used to think I could, you know, if they'd pay me a million bucks, I'd fight Tyson. <laughs> I mean, what? It's one head injury. At least just, you had a boxing glove on. In MMA, the, what do they have? Those little yeah, hardly those anything little over your hands at all. Yeah, that <sighs> that would not feel good. You know, so could you imagine getting in there? No, I say I would cower and 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 hit the but mat. But for what if I told you five million dollars? Five for, million, and she has to hit me. Oh yeah. How about I, just you know, hit you a lot, you're her, out. a lot of her wins is um, yeah, she, what she the, grabs the, the arm, arm bar, yeah, the, yeah arm, the arm like almost breaks the arm and yeah. then they would you rather they tap out? I think I'd, I'd, be, probably, I'd, I'd be tapping out very quickly. Yeah, I just run. Yeah, I just run <laughs> and just run. Just run in a circle until They'd the time, have, yeah. time the bell went. <laughs> I saw that at the rodeo where they're trying to like corner some little sheep with dollar bills taped to it, and these little kids chase it. 
but they chased it for an hour. I could do that for an hour. How long is, a, is it a three-minute round? I don't know. Terry, do you know? I, yeah, he says three. Is I bet three? I could run for three minutes. <laughs> I mean, eventually he'll get a shot. should just eventually just jump on yeah. top of you, though. and, and uh, Well, because, you know, you get to a corner it. and then you point up to the rafters, and then when they look, you take <laughs> off running again. That would Good work strategy. once. Yeah, you just got to find about five or seven strategies like that, and you the could last is, one though, round. One, one punch, though, could really do some damage. Oh, sure. But by the way, whether if the first punch, head, I could take but it. whether it does damage or not, no matter what, go down. Oh, yeah. And act dead. Dead. <laughs> Fake dead. I think the bad thing is once they get you down, then they kind of try to make sure you're really down. And then There's they're hitting some where you they against... hit them so hard for yeah. so long. I'm the one screaming, stop the fight. You know what? I, I rarely watch it. But see, I grew I up with brutal. three sisters, and it reminds me a lot of that fight. Mm. Just me running. <laughs> and no brothers. Get... I feel badly yeah, for you. They were beautiful sisters, but they were really strong and fast, wiry, wiry girls. And, and they'd... girls fight differently, for they sure. They do. And they ho- they'd hold me down. <laughs> Pull your hair. Oh, they'd hold me down. And then they'd brush their long hair over my face. <laughs> and it created some major, major psychological issues. <laughs> To this day, I can't date. Oh, I, I could never date a woman with hair. Your wife has long hair, yeah. doesn't she? Well, yeah, but I had to learn. We had to go to a lot of therapy because <laughs> of my sisters. And I, I, I also can't stand the smell of suave shampoo because of my sisters. I don't want to be rude or anything. It's just, you know, my mom was gone. My dad was gone. Latchkey kids, sisters chasing me around the house. Tough stuff. We're going to take a break, folks. When we come back, Dr. Michael Call will be joining us to talk to us about a new humanities class he's put together here at BYU, the Humanities and Pop Culture. It's all about video games and the many, many, many lessons we can learn about today's video games. Really, folks, video games are becoming another form, another medium of communication, and they're not going away. So there's a lot to learn from it. I think he's got some interesting insight for how we might want to start looking at video games, what he's learning from his students in that class. We'll take a break. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Donkey Kong for you. One of my favorite games. I felt always really powerful with Donkey Kong back in the day. Um, Welcome back to the show. You know, video games have been a part of our life for a a long time. And, uh, you know, if you're in your 40s, you grew up playing some video games, right? If you're in your 50s, you grew up playing Pong. You know, knocking a little chip back and forth in that intense competition. But they've evolved now, and we have more and more games uh, out there. Mario Kart, Donkey Kong, Super Smash Brothers, Call of Duty, and other video games. They all provide fun and uh, interactive and social experiences for people. Beating the level after playing it for the 47th time can be a huge energy rush. A lot of highs from that. But is there more to games than just pure entertainment? A humanities class here at Brigham Young University is in the opinion that games can be a tool to teach empathy. Dr. Michael Call is the professor 
that's overseeing that class, and he joins us now live to teach us what they're learning in the class. Dr. Call, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Hi, thank you. Appreciate it. You bet. Uh, you're a professor of associate professor of comparative arts and letters and interdisciplinary humanities at BYU. What what got in your head, Michael, that made you think that BYU would let you have a class on video games? <laughs> That's a good question. <laughs> First of all, I mean, to explain my, my background, uh, there's kind of a both a professional reason and then a personal reason. Personal reason is I was born in 1976. Yeah. I uh, spent seven years growing up in Northern California. Uh, you know, the... The Atari VCS comes out in 77 or yeah. so. Video games have always been a part of my life just on a, a personal level. I've, I've grown up with them. So um, there's obviously that part of it. Professionally, uh, I come at it kind of from a very indirect way. I, I'm actually a specialist in French literature, 17th century French literature. Huh. And um, I've been studying the uh, effect of games and uh, new ways of thinking about chance and the random in 17th century France. So at the court of Louis XIV at Versailles. Wow. Uh, where they had these huge gambling parties and card game parties. And uh, my my department chair encouraged us to take pedagogical risks. And then my department asked me to teach a course that had something to do with a connection between the humanities and popular culture. And so professionally and personally, I kind of had this crazy idea. That that, convergence. Yeah, that <laughs> since okay. you know, nobody else really at BYU was doing a games studies class. There are, there are classes on making video games, uh, you know, doing the animation or things like that. I thought, well, maybe we should see what the humanities can add to this conversation. Here's this budding new medium, a uh, really important uh, area of, of human creativity. We study in my department film and the novel, poetry, art. Well, what could we add to the conversation about video games? Mm. I mean, it really is. It's a whole – it's not just some video game system anymore. It really is uh, an extension of our technology. and exp- it, it, We're communicating through it. People are aggregating and, and they're congregating on teams to play these video games, and you can play with people you've never met. I mean, it is a whole different world, isn't it? It is, and it's evolving very rapidly, and I think it's maturing in interesting ways. I think it's a... I guess I talked to my students about this and said, you know, we're at a sort of moment. It's a rare cultural privilege or historical privilege, I would say, to be there for the birthplace of a new creative medium. Um, you know, if you were there among the first readers of Don Quixote or something, that, that would be an amazing sort of cultural moment if you right. were able to see Shakespeare's plays being staged. And, uh, you know, I... I wouldn't necessarily argue that every, well, I certainly wouldn't argue that every video game is very sophisticated or has a lot to offer to us from an artistic standpoint, but we are nevertheless being able to see this medium uh, develop and grow, and um, that's that's a really interesting and rare privilege, I think. Oh, no, totally. In fact, we've had on the show, we've had a couple of companies that are using video games to help people with ADD, ADHD. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and to kind of use the video game to help them kind of build better kind of, I guess, circuitry, if you will, in their right. brain. And then another uh, group out of Florida is using a very strong um, uh, use of video gaming to help these uh, returning soldiers deal with their PTSD and to put them back in traumatic situations where then they can use, you know, meditation and other uh, cognitive skills right. to help manage their stress. I mean, it's a different world and I, I think it's I think it's really cool. What are the what are your assignments like in class? 
Uh, well, some of the assignments might look fairly similar to what you would see in other humanities classes. It's just that the subject matter is kind of different. So, you know, it's a fairly typical thing for me in my other classes to ask my students to read a novel and to write an analysis, a paper, to kind of come up with an argument, um, and to really explore the idea of what the, the novel is arguing, what it's meaning, hmm. uh, we could say. And so the, the real fun with this class was to substitute in a completely well, a medium that students are not used to thinking about in that way. When, yeah. they, when they sit down and play a video game, they're not often thinking about, well, what are the arguments that this game is making? Uh, what are the assumptions that it's based on? What's it trying to tell me? Or, or what's it trying to articulate? And so in many cases, our assignments were as simple as you know, having them play a game for, for quite a while and then uh, sit down and, and write an analysis of that or explore a certain aspect, take a certain theme, uh, and then see what the game is is essentially saying about that. What uh, so so do they all already have access to all these games? I worked with uh, our digital humanities folks here in our college in order to uh, make these games available. Uh, that was one of the the fundamental logistical problems for the course. How right. do you? <laughs> yeah. You know, it's it's one thing to ask a student to buy a textbook, but how do you ask assign the... <laughs> them a video game and assume that they'll be able to play it? And so, uh, Jeremy Brown in particular was really helpful in getting uh, a small computer lab uh, set up for us, where the students could log on, sign in, and and have access to many of these games. And you know, one of the interesting things about the, the medium, too, is that a lot of these are um, either free to play or uh, a lot of the art games in particular, they're, they're made available on the web. And so it's simply a matter of maybe making the hardware available. But, mm. uh, you know, there wasn't a significant cost to students either. And, you know, I have to kind of chuckle because we actually did have a, a PlayStation 4 set up in a humanities computer lab here so that the students could come down and fulfill fulfill their assignments, which I'm sure seemed very strange to the other students yeah. there in the computer lab. It's interesting. I mean, that's got to be – everyone's so jealous. Like, what are you doing? Just working on my homework. <laughs> that's right. Got to put in a few hours of homework. Here. Are you getting any calls from parents? I think that's hilarious. Well, I, I'm not. And I think, too um, – you know, all I, all I would have to do is show them the syllabus and, and the fact that I'm asking them to do this, uh, well, to take it very seriously. And in fact, I think some of the students were maybe disappointed a little bit when they got in and realized how much work this Bummer. was actually going to be. Right? Yeah. yeah. Well, and I like to, because it's, it's really critical thinking. You want them to get in there and it evaluate. Is. It it's is. Worth, I mean, some of these are puzzle games. Some of these are board games. Um, and then they come back and I guess they're, they're just, they're thinking about it critically. Well, I think that's really the important point here, right, is that as I was thinking about our, our undergraduate students, video games play a really important role in their media consumption. They're, they're going out uh, increasingly, both men and women are, are playing video games. In fact, I think the recent industry studies show that uh, it's almost at parity. Uh, women represent about 46% of wow. uh, video game players. And so, you know, this is increasingly a part of their media landscape, if you will. And so I thought, well, you know, we do a lot here at BYU asking students to think through their media choices, to um, think about uh, what they're watching, what they're reading, um, to engage mindfully with their, their entertainment choices. And so here was an entire section, I felt, that wasn't really being addressed. And so I think this will be... Uh, well, I would hope uh, eventually. This is obviously still a work in progress as I sort of tweak the course and figure out what went well, what yeah. didn't go well. But my hope is that students will come away from this 
um, equipped with some interesting questions to ask themselves as they go forward and as they become parents, as they're raising kids who are interested in video games as well, yeah. that they can think through these issues in um, in important ways that they couldn't before. It's Yeah, and it's a viable career now. It's a, it's a viable health care tool in many regards for mental health, at least. Mm-hmm. It's even a viable career in flying drones in the military. I mean, there's so many right. applications that to just poo-poo it instead, I mean, learning about it's one thing, but learning the critical thinking skills is another. We're speaking with Dr. Michael Call from Brigham Young University. Um, he is an associate professor of comparative arts and letters and interdisciplinary humanities here at BYU. He received his Ph.D. folks from Yale. Hello. And he's, uh, he's using video games to help broaden the minds of, um, of his students. We'll take a break. When we come back, we're going to get into some other findings about empathy, video games and empathy. Uh, find out what, uh, what good Dr. Call has found out about uh, how video games may increase your empathy. For others, we'll uh, talk about that. When we come back, stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends. Does that sound drive you crazy? How many of you are like, oh, I love that sound. Are you a big video game fan? Because if so, you're going to love this next uh, guest we've been talking to. He's Dr. Michael Call. He's an associate professor of comparative arts and letters and interdisciplinary humanities here at Brigham Young University. His goal is to help his students learn to think critically. And uh, he's using the new you know, emerging communication medium of video games as as the text and context to teach this critical thinking skills to his students. Uh, Dr. Call has um, been uh, doing a lot of, uh, or doing classes, and then uh, and throws out an opportunity for the kids to go play a certain video game and then ask them to, you know, think about it and, 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 and comment on it. Dr. Call, thanks again for being with us. My pleasure. What, what uh, have you learned? I know one of the things that was pointed out is that video games and empathy uh they might be it might be a great way to teach people empathy you know that's an interesting question first of all there have been a lot of interesting studies on literature and the way that reading novels uh can help us to place ourselves in the situations of of other people very different kinds of people and uh learn to empathize with them the the funny thing about video games is that Obviously, you've got a lot of research on violence in video games, Brad Bushman and others, who will show you that, um, particularly with games like Grand Theft Auto, that you can actually lead to a desensitization uh, there. But I think that that one of the things that video games can do, uh, not all video games will do this, but just as a medium, one of the things that they can do well is model choice. And they can do that in a kind of more visceral way, uh, we could say, than most of the other traditional media. When you when you read a novel, you're kind of locked into whatever, you know, wherever that novel's going. You can't sort of insert yourself mm. into that character's position and say, well, actually, I, I want to do something different there. Yeah. And I think that many of the most effective video games um, allow you to do that and model something that I think is very important aspect of the human condition here, uh, and that perhaps uh, a film or a novel or, or a painting can't quite do in the same way. Because taking the place of other is what we called it in uh, in, in the psycho- psychological world, is if I can actually 
project myself into the place of another and see how they're handling this or taking this. It might impact how I feel about them, how I handle them. But the cool thing about video games is I, I can you're saying I can kind of I can go experience the world and live it my way, model it one way and see how it plays out, model it another way, you know, maybe model it more selfishly playing versus playing as a team. I mean, there's a lot of interesting opportunities. Yeah, and, uh, you know, the video game space, that virtual reality there, um, increasingly has been seen as a a way of reinvention or exploration, a way to try out uh, different options and kind of see what happens. Obviously, what I'm encouraging my students to do is to think about the overall world that's then been created, what the consequences are, what, what arguments the, the game is making regarding those, those choices. But nevertheless, I think it's a, it, it opens up a whole array of fascinating possibilities. Do you sense – I mean, too, I, get, I guess I get – a lot of this is role-playing. A lot of this is um, playing games. Um, but is it – at what point have you just noticed in your own work on it, is it just – just avoidance, you know, is it just not dealing with reality and instead, like, I should be doing my test and my studies, <laughs> but instead I keep just role-playing being Rambo. <laughs> right. Just the, the sheer escapism <laughs> yeah. of it. Well, yeah, that's that's obviously um, a huge danger and, and a worry when, um, you know, Jane McGonigal wrote a book called uh, Reality is Broken, where she, you know, uh, basically argued that games have created in some way a more compelling uh, reality because we get the the instant feedback the the feedback loops are more apparent it's not always quite evident in real life when you're doing something worthwhile that you immediately get the reward for that whereas video games uh, sort of shorten that feedback loop and and make it um, you know, much more easy to to see that, oh I'm getting stronger I'm getting better I'm you know I'm leveling up in various ways yeah uh, and so you know uh, I think those are serious questions that we have to ask what I hope with my students is that as we sit down we say well why are we playing the the games? Uh, what's our what's our purpose here? What kind of games should we be playing? Um, you know, everybody obviously needs some downtime, but we can think of it in terms of good, better, and best. Uh, you know, what what should you be doing during that that downtime? Now, obviously, you know, uh, there are folks who watch all 162 Cubs games a year. <laughs> True. Uh, we could critique that choice as well, or those who are right. binge-watching TV Netflix, shows. Netflix, exactly. Um, and so I think the same kinds of questions need to be asked about our video game playing. And I think that's that seems like the, your goal is just be critical. Just you Don't be critical ignorantly just assuming video games are bad or Cubs games are bad, right? Just assume <laughs> – right. Just assume, I mean, they might be bad. Come on, Cubs. And, uh, um, yeah. But just assume that we need to think critically and, and make choices – but but if if for example if I can have a better empathetic uh, experience um, because of a certain video game type, then it might be smarter for me to choose certain types of games. Are there certain games that you notice that do enhance empathy versus other games that maybe don't? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, I think that uh, certainly games that have a more narrative focus to them. Um, games that allow the kind of choices uh, that we've been talking about, games that allow a kind of customization of who you are in this world and that can respond fairly dynamically. Uh, We talk about certain games being uh, sandbox games. That's a term that's used to talk about a game in which uh, 
there's maybe not even so much a, a predetermined narrative thread, but where the world is just kind of open for you to do what you would like to do, and it will then respond dynamically uh, to your choices. And so I think some of those would hmm. offer up some, some interesting uh, opportunities. Did, did you see a difference? Because I know in your class you, you use board games as well. Is there a difference between board games and video games? Well, in what um, you're learning about how we learn and how we think. The, the wonderful thing about board games is that, uh, by and large, um, most of the board games that we, we would play, they necessitate um, other people and playing in a shared space. Mm. And that kind of face-to-face interaction is really fun, uh, as all of us can attest who have enjoyed uh, playing board games. Video games can do that, too. Uh, you know, you can play on the couch with your friends there, obviously. Increasingly, and, and this is a trend that I'm somewhat ambivalent about, increasingly it seems that the, the video game experience is being uh, steered towards, you know, the lone player interacting with other people, yeah. other people through avatars and who are, who are elsewhere, right, who are not in the same space that you are uh, physically. And so, that's, you know, as somebody who enjoys playing video games with kids, uh, you know, I've got kids that enjoy it and we love sitting down and playing together. I, I do kind of worry about that becoming too much of a, a trend. Again, uh, yeah. we're looking for balance here. We're looking for a healthy life. We're looking for, you know, your entertainment options and your, uh, your video game playing not to negatively impact the really other important aspects of your life. I, um, I have a, I've had two or three clients that actually, that's where they bond with their brothers is they all go mm-hmm. at night at 11 o'clock at night. They get on one night a week and they play for an hour or two. And it's just, you know, it's bonding time. Absolutely. My, I have a brother in Maryland. I have a brother in Las Vegas. Uh, we grew up playing video games together there on the couch. But, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll get on on a weekend, you mm-hmm. know, and find a time. And we'll be Skyping at the same time. And we'll be talking about all kinds of different things. Uh, I remember talking to my brother. He had just had a, a new baby. And so we were talking about new baby kinds of things. <laughs> <laughs> while you're shooting up and some while, guy while, in a war zone. playing the video game. So, yeah, it becomes more a framework for the, the larger social interaction Hmm. There. And, and, yeah, I, I think that that's a wonderful way in which the medium can foster connections, social connections, as opposed to impeding them. It's, and, and, again, it's, this is a humanities class. This is teaching us about humans and the human side of yeah. life and living. It's, it's, I think it's powerful. Well, one of the things that we do, so we not only look at games, both board and video, we also look at the way that other media represent games. And so uh, I had the students read Ender's Game, um, hmm. Orson Scott Card's novel, yeah. towards the end of the class. And uh, one of the things that I find very moving about that novel is the way that games become, well, there's, there's kind of the duality there, that games are represented both uh, at times as manipulative, as getting people to do things that maybe they wouldn't otherwise do, but also there are aspects in which the game uh, in, in Card's novel um, allows for envisioning other possibilities. And uh, it's through that game, through one of those games, that then empathy is created there towards the, the other, the alien hmm. there uh, at the end of the novel. Um, and so I think games have, a as, a as a sort of interesting and maybe uniquely human creation, uh, yeah. we like them as sort of machines or, or systems in which we can make choices, in which we can make decisions and see the – explore – uh, virtual ramifications of those decisions. And that can be a really powerful tool. Do you see that this is, it seems like such a really accessible um, experience to so many of the kids that are, you know, of college age now. I mean, this yeah. this is something that might even have more draw to them to learn from as a 
almost like a, a as a context than than even a book. Yeah, well, I think that uh, here at the university we have to think about both uh, what you know those of us who have put a few more decades of life behind us, uh, you know, what we think the students need, but also what they're interested in and how to meet them halfway. And so I think this course is a step in that direction where we say, hey, we know you're interested in this. Let's kind of introduce you to a lot of the, the themes, the big questions, the issues that we like to deal with in the humanities, and let's do it in a medium that, that has a natural interest to you and that has immediate relevance to your life. Hmm. What would you suggest just to the rest of us that can't get into your class, even though we're on campus? Um, well, what would you suggest that we as parents and, and just the average folks, what should we be doing to maybe get a, a, better, um, a better understanding of the impact video games are having on our youth and also to become maybe more creative or critical thinkers? Well, first of all, um, and I guess this first comment is addressed to, to parents, I think parents really need to sit down and play the video games with their kids. You don't have to, to like it, um, but I think you should be aware of what they're playing. Yeah. And uh, it opens up wonderful doors for communication with your kids. They will, they will talk your ear off about what mm-hmm. they've been doing in the video game, and, and they'll, they'll be so appreciative of that step in their direction. I think that way, too, you can be much more aware of the content and uh, I am all about parents being informed and knowing what is in the video game there. I've been admiring the way that the ESRB, the ratings board, has become ever more detailed in its description of what a video game has in it. And I recommend to all parents to you know, check out the, what, what the ESRB has to say about the details. It's kind of like uh, the way that IMDB will have its parental guide where they will tell you what's in a movie. Uh, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm a big fan of parents knowing, um, and that way the parents are empowered in the choices that they make. Um, I think that uh, I've been pretty influenced by a notion uh, that was developed by a video game scholar named Ian Bogus, where he talks about video games procedural rhetoric. And uh, what he means by that is just that, you know, whereas – uh, novels have a kind of uh, verbal rhetoric and where images have a, a sort of visual rhetoric that the video games are making arguments. They're making statements. They're saying, okay, here's a, here's a certain a simulated environment, and if you do this, here's what happens. And I think just asking that question, what is this video game arguing? What are the consequences to the various choices? Hmm. Um, that will help you, I think, uh, sort of see what's going on better in the game. Yeah. Well, I mean, and what... What an interesting thought that, man, we have choices, and this whole video game is just a litany of choice points where we're constantly making decisions with consequences. Yeah, well, that's the kind of fun definition that Sid Meier, uh, if you've ever played the Civilization uh, sequence of video games, uh, he's, you know, his kind of fun definition of a game is it's a series of interesting choices. Yeah. Oh, that's fascinating. I mean, it really is. And I mean, I've even seen marriages. I've seen couples. Uh, who use video games as a way for him to kind of escape and and relax and hurt and but they have a rule that when they're playing the game they talk, mm-hmm. so it allows it allows talk to be there, you know, while other activities going on and and they actually are able to solve some pretty interesting things while gaming, well, and she, every time it it allows it allows the the husband who normally would run to actually he can go run in the game but. And he doesn't have to look right in her eyes. You know, it's interesting stuff. (laughs) 
this is something I noticed with my students uh, just last time I taught this course, and that is that many of them would come back to class talking about how they had played their game assignment with their spouse, huh. which is, I think, a newer kind of development. Yeah. Um, when I was growing up, video games were much more gendered. That yep. was a guy thing to do. Um, that's not necessarily the case anymore, and I have to think that that's a good development. I like that too. No, I agree. And and too, I mean, because again, if it if in the game it does create the opportunity to choose better and to have empathy, man, what a better way to gain empathy than to understand a, a, a more non-gender specific game? It's powerful. Cool stuff. Well, we appreciate you again. And uh, Dr. Michael Call here from Brigham Young University, he's probably, you know, turned the university upside down. <laughs> a humanities game uh, about video games. I mean, a humanities class about video games. Great stuff. And again, critical thinking is really the goal of all universities. So uh, we got to get these these kids, we got to get all of us able to to, you know, dissect something, to take it apart not just to only defend things blindly, but understand, figure out what's going on and use it as a resource to learn how to navigate through life. Basic principles, though, right? Choice, empathy, uh, socialization, stuff like that. We'll take a break, come back, do a little Coach's Corner up next about choice. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143, BYU Radio. stuff folks man video games again you you have this kind of reaction depending when you grew up about what video games are and what they're not but I'm telling you there's something really powerful when you and your spouse for example can go share an experience like even a Netflix series or um, a video game or a movie you might just love a you know a movie, or you might love uh, a book series, and we share the book series. But even a book series is great; you can talk about it. But you to share it, it's harder. You can't always share the experience. Um, there's there's something about it. So if you're kind of an old timer, maybe like I am, and you're thinking, hmm, these kids, they need to get away from them their video games. You might want to rethink it. Uh, last night, I went down with my son, and in his room, he was showing me uh, he has this big editing system for music and for video editing. And he was he just pulled up this this crazy game, this video game that I had never seen in my life, and it was unbelievable. But it was also unbelievable, as our good doctor, Doctor Michael Call, had talked about earlier. That it was a game where you just go experience life and you just you can walk down the street and you can just experience what's going on, but then you can fly a helicopter and and live this crazy outrageous life too in the end I, s- I sat there and I thought, "Wow, so this is what he's doing in his off time and I thought, is that good is that but then as we as we're interacting on it, playing with it, looking at it together. There is a very powerful side socially to being able to share an experience, talk about it. And I noticed with my son that because we were engaged in an activity, 
I could bring up a conversation and we could talk about stuff that he might normally not want to talk about. And so one of the great rules of, I think, how you can talk to your your boy or your kids is simply um, talk, don't make talking the goal. Have some other activity be the goal, like shooting hoops or going on a hike or playing a video game. And if that becomes the goal, then you can make talking the secondary goal. And a lot of times your kids won't even know you're actually talking to them. They won't notice that you've actually snuck in a conversation. Most kids, I'm sure, would actually just be willing to keep going in the conversation simply because you're letting them play a video game and you're playing it with them. There is some research out of BYU as well that playing video games with your daughters actually strengthens the relationship. That time that dads or moms spending playing those video games with your daughters, uh, it's very good for their social skills and their relationships. So you might not want to just quickly judge this one. You might want to give it some time and figure out how can I use the technology that already exists, that my children are already bought into, to go start building my relationship with them. And again, I'd I'd highly suggest time. It's time combined with these other activities. And as we learned, um, most of our life is about socialization, where we interact, where we have to deal with things together, where we make choices together. But one of the interesting things that Dr. Call was bringing up is if all of a sudden we allow ourselves to go learn to interact, to learn to have to make decisions, you can go in and show and talk about different ways of playing the game. So instead of going in and running roughshod and just taking over a a game, you might want to go in and talk strategy, which could be a really cool thing to teach your kids about the future of life and how life is about strategies or about being proactive versus reactive, anticipating problems versus just reacting to problems. There's a lot of life's lessons that exist in life. And it's, by the way, to me, it's the exact same thing. If my son just played a game of football when I'm driving him home from football practice, which starts today, by the way, for my kids, uh, then we could talk about some of these lessons of life. And we could talk about the fact that there's choice here. And we could talk about the fact that we need to have empathy, even on the field for others, and the importance of playing fair and the importance of... I I remember having a conversation with my son once about why we take a knee when someone was injured on the field. He's like, why don't the pros all take a knee when somebody gets injured? And I'm like, well, they make a lot of money. They have somebody to take a knee for them. But my kid's like, he's always excited the minute somebody gets hurt to get on his knee. Take a knee. And um, I thought, that's cool. Cool. Okay, you're learning a very important lesson. So whether it's, you know, games on the field, whether it's just spending more time playing board games, whether it's video games, whatever it is, folks, it's time is what you're buying with your kids. And when you buy time that they want, you have a lot more power with them. Instead of forcing your kids to have the time you want, let's start where they are. And if they're in a video game, let's start there. Interesting stuff. That's the Coach's Corner. We'll take a break. My friends, come back. Hour number three up next. We'll be talking laziness. Ah! This is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. This is 
the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Happy Watermelon Day. Please get out and enjoy a slice of watermelon. Today's the day we celebrate that... Ah, oh, that beautiful ruby water. In, <laughs> you're, Ben's rolling his eyes back in his head. Well, I wasn't trying to roll my eyes. I was. That was like a look of. You were just like like heaven. Mm. There really is nothing better than biting into a perfect chunk of watermelon. Nummy. Happy watermelon day to you all. Uh, another great watermelon fact for those that are keeping score. Uh, the biggest watermelon, heaviest watermelon was grown by Lloyd Bright of Arkadelphia, Arkansas, in 2005. 268.8 pounds. 90% water. <laughs> I'm happy with a five-pounder. 200 uh, and what? How big? 268.8 oh, wow. pounds of joy. Mm-mm, you got to love that. So happy Watermelon Day to you. Here is something that's, uh, if you didn't see this, this just blew my mind. According uh, to some, um, in Florida, there are giant African snails that grow the size of tennis shoes. Oh. And they are thriving in Florida, eating hundreds of plant species and even the stucco off of houses. <laughs> Uh, after more than four years, the state has launched a $10 million program to eradicate these giant snails. You know, this is what we ought to do, because we always have all these stories of the hunters that are out hunting. Let's send them on the snails. Have you heard of zombie snails? No, but I've heard of zombie the zombie acop- a, a, what is it? apocalypse. But zombie snails, are they're a real thing. And you, you, you have to shoot them in the head with a bullet? How does that work? No, but okay. you should look it up on YouTube afterwards. I'm afraid it's, to. It's it's way creepy. And they just they just are slow moving snails that will eventually eat the world. Almost. <sighs> That's scary. Zombies, come on. Let's let that go. But snails, watch out. If you are in uh Florida, you gotta watch out for the, the, the giant snails. The size of t- tennis shoes. I understand Florida has a lot of big Bugs. Mm. Maybe say humidity. Don't you think a hunter would love to just stand behind a giant snail, smiling, holding the head of that snail up there? I mean, come on. I think a lot of people would rather that than a lion or something, for sure. Let's cull the herd of giant snails. I'm here. I'm looking out for you. Let's go, to our, uh, let's go to our news guru, Kathy Aiken, find out what's in the headlines. Good morning, Matt. The manhunt has intensified for a police killer in Memphis. Officer Sean Bolton was shot several times after interrupting a drug deal involving marijuana. Traymond Wilborn was the passenger and believed to be the shooter. Here's Memphis Police Director Tony Armstrong. When you look at this individual, you're looking at a coward. He's a coward. You gun down, you murder a police officer for less than two grams of marijuana. 
A warrant for Wilborn's arrest on first-degree murder charges has been issued, and he's considered armed and dangerous. Meanwhile, in New York City, three people were killed and 16 others wounded in a weekend of gun violence. Community leaders are calling on Mayor de Blasio to crack down on the shootings. De Blasio said he's asking the NYPD to beef up patrols in high-crime areas. New Mexico Governor Susana Martinez is promising the capture of those responsible for setting off two explosions at two different churches yesterday in the southern part of the state. The first incident happened when a mailbox was blown apart at the Calvary Baptist Church. That was followed by an explosion in a trash bin at the Holy Cross Catholic Church. Donald Trump's campaign fired political advisor Sam Nunberg, who was accused of making racist posts on his Facebook page, this dating back to 2007. Trump's campaign manager said the posts were offensive and do not reflect Trump's position. Trump enters the first GOP presidential debate as the frontrunner. Trump said he's looking forward to the debate this weekend against his opponents. I do a lot of things, and maybe my whole life is a debate in a way, but the fact is I'm not a debater, and uh, they are. But with that being said, I look forward to it. We'll see what happens. Who knows? We'll see what happens. That debate, by the way, is on Thursday night on Fox News. On the Democratic front, Hillary Clinton will begin running campaign ads tomorrow in Iowa and New Hampshire called Family Strong. Meanwhile, Vice President Joe Biden is deciding whether or not to run against Mrs. Clinton. And a report from The New York Times this morning says the chairman and CEO of Starbucks, Howard Schultz, is being urged to jump into the Democratic race as well. President Obama has outlined proposals to limit carbon pollution released from the nation's power plant. Plants. The regulations are expected to be unveiled today at the White House, limits that would require a 32 percent decrease of the emissions by 2030. While that number is steeper than expected, Obama will grant states more time to comply. The Senate is scheduled to vote today on whether or not to stop federal funding to Planned Parenthood. Sixty votes are needed to meet the threshold, which means some Democrats would have to cross over. Senate Minority Leader Harry Reid said the vote is an attack on women's health, and the White House says it would block legislation to defund fund the pro-choice organization. The vote comes after undercover, undercover video shows Planned Parenthood officials discussing the sale of fetal tissue to researchers. 25 wildfires continue to burn across California. The Rocky Fire northwest of Sacramento is the largest, forcing the evacuations of thousands of residents. That blaze, which is just 5 percent contained, has already destroyed 24 homes and is threatening over 6,000 more. California firefighter Ron Oatman talked about the dangers. There's veteran firefighters out there, 30-plus-year 30, 30 veteran firefighters that are saying they've never seen fire behavior like this. It's beyond extreme. Most, Stretching. most of the blazes are blamed on lightning. The state is under a state of emergency. Mission Impossible Rogue Nation took the top spot at the box office this weekend. Vacation coming in at number two and Ant-Man number three. And Matt, an Albanian Special Olympic athlete has been found safe. I don't know if hmm. you saw this report no. that Andy Guzmari, a bowling competitor, disappeared from the Special Olympics in Los Angeles Uh-oh. Saturday night. But he turned up in San Francisco this morning. How he traveled wow. from L.A. to the town of Hayward is still a mystery, but I don't know if you watched any of that. 6,000 no. Special Olympics from around the world taking part in the Special Olympics, which concluded yesterday. ESPN had so many wonderful stories about these competitors. Yeah. Really, really heartwarming. So the bowl, one of the bowler athletes disappeared he from L.A., away. Yeah. which walked away and ended up. San Francisco. Oh my they have God. no idea how he got there. Yeah, they said he had all his documents with him and said he walked into the police department. He was hungry, and I'm not sure if he didn't know, you know, where he was. But oh, can you yeah, imagine? thankfully he turned up safe. Yeah, 44 years old. Wow. See that? That's why you always keep your eye on a bowler. Yep.
You never know. You never know go. where they're going to end up. Are you a bowler? Uh, I'm I'm a big bowler until the injury. <laughs> I used to be a what, big the bowler. Yeah. Again, the plantar. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's really affected you in many well, ways. You know what? When you're an athlete, um, a high level athlete, let's just put it like that. You're you're a fine tuned body, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And you know, once one part goes out. It kind of messes everything else up. It does. And when you go to roll that ball, yeah. with your, was it on your right or left my foot? Right your foot. right foot. Mm-hmm. So you plant. You uh, probably plant with your I, left I usually, foot. Yeah, I plant with my left foot but I, and I kick with my right foot. Okay. But what I found out, I also found out, I think there's something about my joints and tendons, mm-hmm. which is why I've got a plantar problem. Because I'd, a lot of times I'd pull my hammy, mm. my hammies, my hamstrings. You've got I, tight hammies. I've got tight hammies, which is great because I fire the ball like a flipping – Rocket, but I end up also. What's your best score? Uh, one forty. Yeah, one forty. That's not bad. It's pretty good. <laughs> it's pretty good. I mean, a lot of people. You know, not great. I, but... What? What do you mean? One forty is great. My kids can't <laughs> even get like sixty. I'm killing my kids. Well, when you have to have your kids roll it down that little ramp. Yeah. You know. I love that ramp. But you can't get the speed you need. You just can't do it. Are you a good bowler? Don't you dare uh, say you, you can't. No, I'm average. No, I'm, I've hit 140 before. Yeah. Are you saying sure. 140 is average? Yeah, because 300 is perfect, right? Yeah. So, yeah, it's average. <laughs> you know, Actually, below 50%. That's the, so. Yeah. Wow. Never thought of it that yeah, way. I yeah. was thinking more in relation to the competition I play. Oh, there you I'm go. Pretty but good. that is very good. But I usually only do birthday parties mm-hmm. and uh, bar mitzvahs. Yep. So, which is what once, twice a year. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. But then I'm I'm hurting for a week with my <laughs> pulled hammies. It's hard. It's hard when you're an athlete and, and a, just a stud. It's hard. Ben, don't be rude. Rude. Anyway, great, uh, great guest coming up. Do you ever feel like you're lazy, or do you think of somebody that you know they're just lazy? Well, guess what? There's a bunch of reasons people may look lazy. And only a few of them mean they actually are lazy. We're going to be talking about why you might be lazy or addressing what might be, you know, not actual laziness at all. Maybe fear. Maybe, you know, insecurities that keep you from trying things. And instead, you just kind of kick back and veg. Dr. Marty Nemco will be joining us. And he's a coach from the Bay Area. We're going to be talking laziness and addressing those lazy issues of yours. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you find the good in the world. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, do you ever feel like what Bruno Mars was talking about in his song entitled Lazy Song? These are some of the words. He says, today I don't feel like doing anything. I just want to lay in my bed. Don't feel like picking up my phone, so leave me a message at the tone, because today I swear I'm not doing anything. I mean, many would say that's my everyday right there. Every day. You know, we've all been there from procrastinating on our paperwork or from just not wanting to move for a few days. 
But when those days turn into weeks and weeks turn into years, it might be time that uh, we have a real conversation about how to address our laziness. That's what we're here to talk about today. Dr. Marty Nemco, a contributor to Psychology Today, uh, he's here to talk to us about our laziness. Dr. Nemco, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. My pleasure. <clears throat> great, to, great to have you. And again, uh, you, you can also be found at martynemco.com. Talk about laziness because, you know, a lot of times we'll throw that word out there. You know, kids, you guys are so lazy because you don't clean up or whatever. But it's not always laziness, is it? Occasionally it's not. Occasionally you're, it is your psychology telling you that it is wise to not do something. So the example I like to give, if, uh, for example, uh, I was given the opportunity to be a linebacker for the BYU uh, <laughs> football team, yeah. um, I, and I procrastinated and procrastinated, that would be pretty wise, yeah. my, my body telling me I shouldn't do it. Yeah, it beats dying, doesn't it? Uh, exactly, and that's uh, right. <laughs> it would be not not a great way to go to get pummeled by uh, three hundred pound uh, uh, torqued up people. <laughs> but but most often it really is, in some sense, in in my view, it's a little different than what you were implying. You were implying, oh, everybody's lazy right. for a few days or whatever. But actually, like like height or weight or intelligence or proclivity to violence, uh, there is a continuum between people who start with a foundational principle that says, I want to do as little as I can get away with because I want to hang out, uh, to people on the other end who have this very Calvinist view that I, I have only a certain number of heartbeats in my lifetime and I'm going to make the most of them, mm-hmm. and that productivity is key to all. So it's, it's just another individual variable. And, and, that, and, it's, and are we kind of born with that? Is that instilled in us? How does that come to us? Like everything else, I think every... Every human attribute has got both a genetic and an environmental component. You talk to any mother who has had two or more kids, and she will say that here's a, her, her child uh, was born with, each child was born with a very different personality. And so it's that plus environment. Uh, frankly, you know, I think universities actually contribute to mm. people being lazy, and I'll yeah. tell you why. Because they positively reinforce laziness. If I, am, if I remember the first time I was in college and uh, there was a paper that I had to write and I killed myself and I worked and worked and I'd turn it in uh, and then the teachers, a couple of kids had asked, you know, can we get an extension? Can we get an And he said, okay, you'll all get another day or two. That encouraged me to be lazy. It encouraged me to procrastinate and say, ah, oh, well, all that adrenaline, all that hard work starting early because the environment rewarded me. So like every other factor, uh, including height and weight, you know, it's partly genetic, uh, has a genetic limits, but it has environment. If you, you know, if you starve a person, they're going to not reach their, their biologically uh, uh, determined height. Right. You, in your article, um, Addressing Your Laziness on the psychologytoday.com, um, you you talk about five different, um, I guess, causes of, of some of this laziness and then five ways to address them. Let, let's go through some of them and help us understand, because then we, I can sit there and think, oh, yeah, I think I've got that one. Uh, one of them you call the rational fear, fear of failure. Is that, is that like the football example? Yes. So if I have a rational fear that... Um, that I'm not going to get this job, then I might be lazy or procrastinate going to get jobs. 
Right. Or if I, you know, let's say there are certain people who are, let's just say, kept men or kept women, and they know that they're going to have, um, you know, they're going to have their income needs and whatever taken care of, and their own philosophy of life is, you know, I am a hedonist. I love pleasure. I will be able to... Uh, eat and watch watch Woody Allen movies and have sex and do everything else and I don't have to work so they can it is from their perspective with their foundational value system about being a hedonist it is rational for them to be lazy and not look for the job huh. yeah because they I guess they know they're not prepared so and, th- and so it is rational even if they're prepared even if even if they were Einstein if their foundational value is I like pleasure. Yeah. I'm not going to make much difference anyway in the world. So I'm just not going to look for a job. I'll be lazy. Hmm. And there are people like that, huh? Of course. That are just I sitting out. I love the story. A BART is the train, state, train yeah. system here in the, in the Bay, San Francisco Bay Area. And I had a client who walked in and was very proud of the fact that she was able to keep her job and work only one hour a day. She was making $108,000 and as an executive. This was $108,000 wow. 10 years ago. You know, she it, it didn't cross her mind that there was something cosmically unjust about that. <laughs> so they're really, you know, you could, it's rational from your perspective. If it is, if you are a hedonist, if you don't see anything wrong with, um, you know, just kind of hanging out and being essentially a parasite on the world, it is rational for you to not look for a job, to not do the term paper. Look, you know, even at BYU, which has got a lot of good students, yeah. not all students work hard because they just say, hey, what the hell? Does it really matter? Yeah, what's, doesn't well, matter. Right. Maybe I need the piece of paper so that, you know, I can get a job, but I'll just go and cheat on the test. Interesting. No, and it's true. Cheating has gone up, right? Nationally, we've seen more and more studies about some of that. Talk about um, the irrational fear. So that's kind of somebody rationally having fear of failure. What's the irrational of fear of failure look like, and how does that impact laziness? comes in a few flavors. Um, somebody can fear failure irrationally. They can be extremely competent. They know what they're doing. Let's say you're a talk show host. And you know that, you know, rationally, if there was a God and God were looking down upon you, uh, you know, you have all of what it takes to do a good job on this thing. And yet irrationally, you are shaking with fear. The adrenaline is coursing through your veins. You you just don't want it because you can't face failure because I'd be so embarrassed. I'd be so, you know, I I don't know if I could survive it. It's an irrational fear. And yet... Some people indeed have irrational fears, and that's an irrational fear of failure. And so what you then do is you go and self-sabotage. So you don't prepare, you don't show up, you just don't. And so you, you then irrationally fear failure, which encourages you to be, quote, lazy. That's interesting. Yeah, and it's – so really it is – it's irrationality. What If we were going to be, get more real about it, it's just the person's being irrational. They have a thinking pattern that keeps them – Stuck instead of just lazy. Yeah, that, and that's what I mean. It's it's a it's a cause. The, the the laziness is the behavior. Yeah, it's what we see. It's not the cause. It's like a headache. You know, you could have a headache, and there could be ten reasons for a headache. One yeah. could be you know just a tensionetic. Could be migraines. Another could be uh, you got hit over the head, and the third one, another one could be you had brain cancer. Hmm. So it's same with laziness. Laziness is the behavior. There are multiple causes underneath it. And it's powerful to, I think, break it down like this. A lot of us as parents, we might just throw out the term laziness without thinking that there might be a fear in in place here or just a lack of a driver, a motivator that's not in play. Yes. And I guess parenting 101 would be then if, if you see a behavior like laziness, 
go in and investigate first. That's fair. And figure out uh, if it's fear or whatever. So we have rational fear of failure, irrational fear of failure. Um, let's do this. Let's take a break and come back and discuss some of the value-based causes, some of the rebellion that might be driving um, laziness, or even just uh, just the, if it's hardwired in us to uh, to sit back a bit and just watch things happen. Again, we're talking with Dr. Marty Nemco. If you go to his website, martynemco.com, a great uh, resource for career coaching and and other ideas about uh, you know education, learning. And, and being able to, to actually go compete in today's marketplace. Stick with us, folks. You're listening to The Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Joining us uh, today in our discussion about uh, addressing your laziness is um, our, our great uh, contributor, Marty Nemco, who uh, wrote an article on Psychology Today uh, about addressing your laziness. And he's giving us right now five different you know, possible causes for what might be driving some people to to appear and to act more lazy. Uh, and interestingly, none of them mentioned a really big bowl of macaroni and cheese. Because anytime I eat a big bowl of mac and cheese, I get real lazy after. <laughs> and I don't know why. Marty Nemco, Dr. Marty Nemco, welcome back to the show. My pleasure to be with you again. What just about a big bowl of carbs? That seems to just knock me into lazy land. Well, with good reason. You know, what happens is you have a certain amount of, uh, you know, your energy is being diverted to uh, metabolizing all of those yummy carbs. Oh. Oh. I know. Food It'll kill you. My, food, I have a love-hate relationship with food, but we shouldn't Let's, let's not, not get started there, huh? Exactly. I'll order in a pizza or something. That's right. <laughs> so you talked to us about rational fear of failure. That's one of the drivers. And, you know, you know we should be afraid because maybe we don't have what we need to get a job done, irrational fears where we're not necessarily thinking clearly about a situation. But value, another one you bring up is values caused low motivation. Yep. And what that does that is mean? What, that is what we talked about a little earlier, which is every human being resides on a continuum from I try to do the least work I can get away with, I want to do the most work possible. And uh, if your values are such that you are not product- particularly production-oriented, uh, then you're going to – that's going to make you lazy. Yeah. That's you know? yeah, true. If, if I'm more into it's not what I do. It's just who I am. <laughs> Whatever my value system is might determine how much I feel I need to work. Or even, you know, as I say, you know, the, how many – even great philosophers, before we de- de- demean that a priori, you know, how many people have said the meaning of life is a search for happiness? And, you know, if your goal is the search for happiness, you're not going to do your taxes. If your yeah. goal is to search for happiness, or at least short term, you know, long term, you may end up in debtor's prison if they still exist. that doesn't exist. But you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, so it, it it depends on whether it's worth. I mean, I look at let's take take a job that is intrinsically can't be seen as very pleasurable. Ditch digger. If I am somebody who wants whose main goal is pleasure, I will cut as many corners in digging those ditches. And I will do as little as I possibly can do so that I can do the things that are fun. That's true. But, but even somebody 
who is a ditch digger. Says, you know, it's not fun to be digging, but you know, I want to make sure that the graves of these people really is done right, and uh, when the people come to the funeral, that uh, they they will feel like it wasn't done slipshod, and they were they worked as hard as they could. It is a values caused laziness or lack thereof. Hmm. That's va- and then I so I guess I need to look at it if I if I'm showing signs of laziness and I think it might be because of my values, I need to look at it and, and just evaluate. I mean, if I don't want to be perceived as lazy, and I've, if it's impacting my job, then I guess I need to reevaluate what my values are. No, but it doesn't matter even whether it's perceived. Let's say you were, you were you know, in a forest and nobody could see you. Yeah. There's going to be some people who are going to, let's just say you were, taking a, you were wandering in a forest. There's some people who may just enjoy the pleasure, the the sights, mm-hmm. the sounds, the, the the smells of the forest, etc. And there are others that say, you know, oh, here are these uh, this poison oak. You know what I think I'm going to do? I think I'm going to step on this so it doesn't grow. It <laughs> that's it's not even an external whether I'm going to get caught. It's a it's a cosmic philosophical sense of whether how important is it for each heartbeat to be productive for yeah. the world. Yeah. That's what values caused low motivation or high motivation is. Okay. That's, that's it. So talk about then the next one, rebellion caused low motivation. I think there may be a few college students who could possibly relate to this. <laughs> you know, it is, you know, I don't know what it is, whether it's psychological, sociological, or physiological, but at some point, maybe it even may be Darwinian, that you need to establish autonomy from your parents so that you do feel some sense of self-efficacy. And so... Many people, especially as as teenagers, start to rebel, and parents are, you know, frankly, quite appropriately telling kids, you know, do your homework, practice for the SAT, you know, practice your flute, whatever it is. And at some point, there is a certain, and it really varies. Again, there are some people who rebel. Now, I, I when I think of LDS kids, I I think of those who, for for whatever reasons, parenting, close community, sense of guilt, responsibility, whatever. Yeah are less likely to rebel than those who may go to UC Santa Cruz. <laughs> um, but there is a certain amount of that rebellion that still does come from adolescence in an attempt to create uh, autonomy. And then there are others who don't, you know, continue to rebel. Let's say you have an authoritarian professor who says, I want you to read pages 222 <laughs> to 279, yeah. and then I want you to write this paper about the the causes of the medieval linguistic di- dichotomy between what goes on <laughs> in the Indo-European, you know, and so screw this. Yeah, we're not yeah. having that. And then, we, and then we just get, yeah, then we just kind of, we, we rebel, we pull back. And it become right, and that can become, it can become a habit. You get an authoritarian boss yeah. who's arbitrary and doesn't explain why a particular behavior is good or why everybody has to do it the same way. And so all of those things can ossify one's tendency to rebel and say, I'm not doing that. I'm hanging out. I'm yeah. being lazy. And then, the, then I guess the last one that you bring up is just hardwired low motivation. Some people, I guess, are just about. don't have – they're just not motivated. There are, some people are – motivated is, another, is not quite the right word. Motivation is – some external thing or some attribute that's going to make them work hard, whereas there is an energy level, a drive that exists in some. We make fun of the heavy beer drinking, kickback, let's down a brew and watch the game person, 
And then there are other people who are, you know, there was a commercial before about bees and that some bees are uh, are harder workers than others. This was not because of the environment or because of what the, their toilet training did. There is a, everybody varies on how, on everything, yeah. on intelligence, on drive. and Energy, yeah. Yeah, and so laziness is, some people are just laid back. What, what, do we, are driven. what do we do with this in the end, Marty, when we talk about, uh, when I think about me now, I guess I just need to figure out my code, figure out what drives me, what makes me maybe be more lazy, and then what? Okay, well, let's let depends on let's let's talk about you, Matt. If we can talk about you personally, yeah. As you listen to our discussion of laziness, which flavor or two apply to you, if at all? No, yeah, more by far the fear. Okay, the kind of the rational and irrational fear of whatever. If I do that, that's going to set me up for this and this and this. Yeah. Okay, now rational fear, we don't we don't worry about that. We don't want, we don't want you you know dive dying cliff, right cliffs. So. We'll honor you for that. We'll call that healthy. But you have – give me a specific context. Well, for example – have a fear of failure. Well, a fear of failure could be uh, a fear of public – you know, doing something so publicly that you blow up, you implode, you look bad in front of people. Right. You I would have guessed don't that. deliver the needs. The yeah. Yes. You talk to – so you have this fear of embarrassment. And to some extent, again, it is, is not unhealthy. I mean I don't, I don't want to uh, – let's say I am a pianist. And if I am not ready to perform, I, uh, you know, I, it's rational for me to, to want to practice. But let's say it's on this show. Let's say you have this irrational fear. Then the goal is to – one of the ways you address it, is, and a fear of embarrassment, that is, by what other people think, is to face the worst. And yeah, worst-case scenario, yeah. Yeah, okay. You fail. Uh, the, your audience laughs at you. They kick you off the air. <laughs> Uh, you're, you know, you're, you can never get another radio job again because you were such an utter failure. Right, that's, right. That's, yeah, that's, that's the worst case scenario. Yeah, right. And so, first of all, you ask yourself, what is the probability of that happening? Yeah, not you good. Look at the worst, and by looking at those things, it can make you realize, okay, the chances of that are one in ten thousand, mm. and I can mitigate it further if I do prepare. And, you know, yeah. it's narcissistic of me to think that the world gives a crap, right. that, you know, whether I really say that so well or I, I, I made a malaprop. And you just let go at that point when you just face the worst, realize you can survive anything except stage four cancer. You and then say, you know, if I really do get fired for one for screwing this one thing up, then maybe I wasn't meant to do this. Right. This isn't it's me. looking at the worst. I, I love that. And it's kind of a rational approach to learning to learning and being realistic about it. It's powerful. And yeah, and dealing with the irrationality and really facing it head on and then asking you if there's anything you can do about it. Now, yeah. we're all human and we all, none of us want to be embarrassed. No. But by looking at it and really, and ask, the other thing foundationally, Matt, I will ask you is, are you caring too much about what other people think? Yeah, no, exactly, right. And yeah. then asking yourself, is this the way you want to live your life as a, as a slave to uh, other people's opinions? Yeah, and, and then and then yeah, let it constantly drive my actions or not. Right, make you too more of a conformist than mm -hmm. you want to be. Man, Marty, this I mean, this is this is really what I think all of us need to some degree to just to get in. We need a coach that can work us through that. Um, man, Marty, great stuff. Appreciate your insight on this. And again, you can go to the website martynemco.com. 
we got to, to bust away to get to the, the guys at BYU Sports Nation. But go check out his website. He's written a lot of books as well. He's got video courses. Just trying to learn, folks. Lazy, there is a source here, right? There's something going on in all of our thinking, whether it's fears or values or just rebellion or just nature. Something is driving it. We'll take a break, friends. Come right back. Talk to our buddies down at BYU Sports Nation. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. A beautiful little uh, nursery rhyme down by the bay that all of a sudden turned really dark and scary. A, poss- a possible zombie uh, snail takeover. Welcome back to the show. We're going down to our buddies down at BYU Sports Nation. Hello, gentlemen. You were anticipating that Jerem Jordan would be here to break down that musical. Yeah, totally. Uh, genius wouldn't. But, Bri- but Brian's there, right? Brian's here. Brian, yeah, I'm here. Brian I knows guess. nursery rhymes gone bad. Brian, what do you think about the uh, the nursery that rhyme? That was an interesting uh, mix there. <laughs> do you know uh, what that comes from, by the way? Nope. It's uh, they're called zombie snails. Zombie snails. Yeah. Snares. Snails. Snails. So you know, a snail eventually can be infected with a parasite. Yeah. That takes over the snail's brain. Oh. And the parasite then ends up running the snail, and the snail's goal is eventually to then be eaten by a bird so the parasite can take over the bird. I thought it was just dubstep. Oh, no. Interesting. Oh, yeah. Nursery rhyme on dubstep. <laughs> and, and, and it was dubstep. <laughs> yeah. So it could be either one of those. Okay. I actually like the, uh, the, the, the beat that dropped towards the end. That was pretty cool. I was, yeah, I was, I but was I got getting scared. in my seat. If you could see the video, it's a lot scarier than you think. Yeah, I don't want to see the video. You don't. You do not want to see the video. I don't watch scary things. I don't like to scare myself. I know. I don't blame you. I have problems sleeping as it is. So yeah. Hey, hey, um, would you guys? Let's just say this. Let's say you're. Let's say you're skydivers. Are you guys skydivers? I'm I'm afraid of heights too. I have never skydived, and my wife says now that we have children, she refuses to let me do it. Okay. No. Exactly. I'm with her. But if you lost your cell phone at about ten thousand feet out of a out of an airplane skydiving. What do you think the odds are of getting it back working? Working? Yep. Working. Uh, one in ten million. You mean like if you you mean if you catch it? Yeah. No. Air? No. Oh no! It hit the you ground. Hit, oh. Oh. Zero. Ten thousand feet. Zero. An iPhone. A Texas man found <laughs> his iPhone on the ground after it fell about ninety five hundred feet. I don't believe it. From an airplane, landed on the ground, had a few scratches. Some of the corners were a bit a bit dented. But uh, still worked, and he found it with the iPhone app, Find My iPhone. <laughs> no way. I totally don't, way. I don't way. Know if I believe that, man. It's totally if true. If it was an Android or something else, no, I how? know iPhones do you, are do you think I? Do well. you think I? Oh. Okay, it, it, had like an, it had like the indestructible OtterBox case on it, no. right? No, you know what it did, though? It was slowed by a tree, a mesquite tree. So uh, the okay. fall probably, some of the mesquite tree probably caught, caught the fall. So it didn't just hit the ground. Yeah. What are the chances of it hitting a mesquite tree, though? Oh, I know. Or what? Worse, a person. Ooh, oh man, person. I mean, that would have been Knock weird out, if you like got to yeah. dig your phone out of a human. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I don't want to get gross or anything, but 
Weirder things have happened. Yeah, but, but you know what? If it did work, you know, cost of business. <laughs> Just saying. Hey, are you guys doing your show thing today? We are. Well, you're, no, you're still doing we are. it. Yes, what, sir. What's today's topic? Are you aware of who Paula C.K. is, Matt? Yes, I do. Paula C.K., former football player at BYU from New Zealand. Oh, I thought he was a dancer champion. on Dancing with the Stars. Oh, that. Oh, nope, no. not that guy. That was the other Paula C.K. But Paul is hoping to dance his way to a spot on an NFL 53-man roster. And cool. according to 247 Sports, which is a website that operates under the umbrella of CBS Sports, yeah, they tweeted out five rookies to watch in the Cardinals, the Arizona Cardinals rookie camp, and mm. said that of the five, only one of them has a chance to not just play significant minutes, but start. What? Citing Paul Lasique as an undrafted free agent out of BYU has ideal size and strength, and there are only two fullbacks currently on the Cardinals roster. That's cool. And Paul has a chance to be the starter on day one. That is really cool. So wow. Now, now that you know that, that kind of affects today's Twitter question. But okay. uh, today's Twitter question is, who is your underdog pick of the six undrafted free agents to make an NFL 53-man roster? Now, I... In my mind, I take Paul out of the underdog list. Would you? Yeah. Well, yeah. Now you do. Yeah. Yep. I was gonna call. I was gonna say Jimmy Smith, but <laughs> Jimmy Dan even Smith. even after you told me that Dan Smith BYU Dan Smith Dan Smith for example Paul Lasique what a stud. Yeah. How about that? He's gonna make it, make some big money. You know, donate it back to BYU. Bada boom, bada bing. Well, we hope. Then I we mean, get a big I, bo- a big bid. You know, then we get in one of the I big just, leagues. I just hope he tithes. That's a yeah. He'll tithe. <laughs> he served the mission. He'll tithe. He's a I'm good more guy. concerned about him tithing than giving back to the program. <laughs> That's <laughs> great. About where your heart is. Look at, look at really how matters. concerned you are about his The kingdom of God or football. See, Which one do you put first? <laughs> oh my gosh, Brian. <laughs> You're going to get me fired. Um, <laughs> Uh, well, somebody talk to Brian about that. Yeah. Hey, so so that's going to be on the show. I'm sure you're going to have other stuff. It's just Absolutely. not Le life. Well, it's an NFL-centric day. Tim Twentyman is the Detroit Lions senior writer and insider, if you've noticed. Two different former BYU players are currently rostered with the Detroit Lions, Ziggy Ansah yes. and Kyle Van Noy. We're going to find out expectations for both of those guys heading into their third and second respective seasons. Kyle's coming off of an injury. Um, he he played last year late, but he never really was able to get into the groove. Now he says he's healthy. Ziggy Ansah, um, expectations sky high for that guy. So we're going to talk to the guy up in Detroit who's watching them day in and day out, find out what they're looking like in uh, uh, off-season training activities um, and also fall camp as it gets underway. Yeah, good stuff. Again, another great show. You know, it's – you know, Really, though, we're just going to talk about the fact that this is really the Brian takeover. I know yeah, this Brian's, month. I think Brian month, will yeah. work more shows this month than Jerem will. You know yeah. what? But does Brian sing like Jerem? That's the question. Oh, I sing way better than Jerem. Okay. So, you know, it's going to be. You're, really? you're going to hold you to this. Yeah. You're going to be. <laughs> you need to prove this, Brian. You need to prove this, you're Brian. You're in for a treat. Are you on tomorrow again, Brian? I'm on. Uh, Every day today, except or this week, except for Friday, okay, and then all of next week. Oh, this is great! Okay, here as well. Bring some tunes. We'll we'll play a song, and you can just like harmonize with it. That's, okay, that's our plan tomorrow. Sounds good. Good luck, gentlemen. Have a great Thanks, show. Sir. Take care, my friend and uh, friends. And uh, man, Brian's going to be singing tomorrow. Make sure we get a good song for that, Ben.
a, a really good one. Like I think I can see Brian doing a little falsetto, you know, something beautiful. I do miss Jerem just because Jerem gets every pop culture thing we do. He's like the only guy on earth that gets every pop culture, you know, topic we take on. Anyway, that's the show, my friends. Uh, it's 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 a good show. Again, watch out if you're in Florida. Watch out for the giant, the uh, giant snails. They're the size of tennis shoes, for heaven's sakes. If you're going to kill an animal, a giraffe, let's say, an elephant, a lion, stop doing that. Instead, go to Florida and get poach yourself some giant snails. And then take that really great picture of you kneeling down, lifting up that little snail head, showing everybody your, your great victory. I don't know. It's kind of sad. It's, you know, it's the snails. They just get a bad rap. They ruin a garden, and they make that crunchy sound when you step on them. Um, here's the, the, the last uh, part of the show. We always like to do a hero, do you remember? We like to talk about the good that we see in the world, and we found one. Connecticut police officer Michael Castillo is our hero of the day after he responded to a call that they made from a local Target store. This officer did something that has now touched the lives of thousands of people. Michael Castillo, he's a police officer with uh, the Connecticut Police Department. He responded to a call made due to kids fighting outside of the local Target store. Upon arrival, Castillo found that the kids weren't fighting, but they were only playing and messing around. You know, they were all just friends hanging out. But Castillo also noticed that one of the boys had a chain, his chain on his bike was broken. So, without saying anything, Castillo flipped over the bike and started fixing it. He then told the kids, all right, guys, go play somewhere else besides the Target parking lot. But he made sure to tell them also that he thought that they were really good kids. So what Castillo did not know was that his actions were noticed by a pedestrian. And as Castillo was bent over fixing the bike, Faith Taylor caught the moment on camera. She was so touched by it that she went home. She posted it to the department's Facebook page. Her goal was to get his kind actions noticed and commended by others. It was an amazing community police effort to show kids that they matter, that you can trust the police and ask them for help. And that's exactly what the police are there for, she said. Castillo said he was not aware of the photo uh, and, it was, and he did not know how many that it had already accumulated nearly 1,000 likes uh, right when it was posted um, it's been shared numerous times. Anyway, he just says it's just something small. It's just, you know, I, I would have done it. I, I just who I am. That's just what I do. And he, basically anybody just does that, right? We just Well, do they? I don't know. We hear all these stories about cops that are making mistakes and doing stupid stuff. But again, let's remember, for every one horrible cop story you hear, and there are some horrible ones, there are also hundreds, if not thousands, of amazing cop stories, police stories about what's going on that's good in the world. So that one of the goals of the show is to make sure we're always giving you the balanced good in the world as well. Anyway, that's it. That's the goal of the show. Thanks for being with us. We couldn't do the show without you. We're here every Monday through Friday, 9 to noon Eastern time. You can also find us on uh, iTunes, tune in. You can go to BYUradio.org to get... Uh, other podcasts that you can send out to your friends. Stick with us, folks. Again, we'll be back tomorrow. More ideas, more tools to help you find the good in the world. Until tomorrow, take care of the people you love. Look for the good in the world and make it a great one.